Thanks for tuning in to episode 266. We will not have any advertising interrupting our conversation today with Io and Aaron. We do want you to know that our podcast is powered by Busy Coffee, Soda Sense, and Metro Mugs. second we have io and aaron on the podcast today decky brown how are we we're doing great andy uplift yeah you couldn't have said any better aaron and io today they are phenomenal people and uh it's to be honest it was one of the more important podcasts that we've ever done it actually and i say this wholeheartedly changed my perspective and helped me understand more what the black community is going through um not only from today's standpoint with everything going on in minneapolis but um, in the more historical context, I'm, I now am confident and I now know, I now understand a little bit more and can begin to understand in the future. Right. And I think that's, that's the main thing. That's the main takeaway is the ability to begin to know, begin to understand. Um, prior to having this conversation, I can't, I can honestly say I didn't understand the black community and, uh, Io and Aaron did a great job at just being transparently themselves and sharing personal stories, experiences, uh, on what's going on in their lives and what's happened to friends and family. Um, so thank you, Io and Aaron, and I really hope you listeners uh, stick around for three hours because there's so much good golden nuggets throughout the entire time. Absolutely. Just a phenomenal perspective that you know I think we all need. And if we're saying that we need to build a better tomorrow, I think listening to this podcast seriously is a great way to do that. Io, Aaron, welcome, guys. Back. How are you guys? Seriously, how are you? Conflicting question. Yeah, it's um, I've been getting a lot of that, right? Just text. Um, it's crazy, man. It's um, I'm not gonna say it's a feeling I haven't felt before, right? And when I compare, you know, waking up, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. So I think it happened on Memorial Day. And then Tuesdays when all the outrage happened. And Tuesday night, I think it hit me at like one in the morning. You know what I'm saying? And I You're in bed? Yeah, I couldn't sleep. And I'm just, you know, scrolling through the timeline, watching the video. I watched the video like noon in the office on Tuesday. And then I'm scrolling through the timeline. You know, I got people who know. Apparently, I found out my cousin in Houston went to high school. But, like, they graduated together. Um, the, the restaurant where where he basically got strangled in front of me. One of my uh, best friends growing up owns that restaurant. So I, I recognize the spot. So I, there's just so many things when it happened. Like I, I saw myself, it really just hit me different. Because, you know, when, when it comes to police brutality and violence and just killing black folks, it, it always hits me, right? But this one was just different. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I got to get to the office the next morning. And I am up wide awake, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Four o'clock. Finally, like five thirty rolls around. I'm like, I'm not going in. I just can't. So I, you know, I texted people office. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna let y'all know right now. Like, I'm not feeling hot, and blah, blah, I'm not going. But it was, um, man, I'm not good. I think right now is probably the best I felt, and I think it's just as I came back from over south, just dropping out some groceries and whatnot, and uh, you know, doing some cleaning. 
But for the most part, like when I tell you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and even this morning, the emotions, it's, it hasn't even been a roller coaster. It's just been down. Like I've been down for like 72 hours straight off top. Dang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess my question, like, cause I love you, man. I, you're, I'm one of my, you're, you're like one of my favorite guys. And the fact that, you I know, it's funny texting it. last night about everything. And like, we were literally talking, um, 24 hours ago, like we got to have someone from the black community on right now. Like who can we have a conversation with? And we were like, we got to either have like IO or Moist or someone going down the list. 20 minutes later, you had DM'd me. Yeah. And I was just like, thank God, like that's awesome. I know we were, we were talking about getting back on and honestly, just with everything's going I've been more vocal now about this than I ever have. Mm-hmm. I, I've always been vocal, always been an advocate. Don't get it twisted. And like, you know, my brother over here can speak for me. I've never been one to be quiet and just let things slide. But again, you know, just, you know, being in, being in a certain different community where I'm, we said something on one of our Zoom calls the other day, the only, when you're the only in a room, you don't want to shake it up too much. Mm-hmm. And that's always been, you know, an internal fear of, of all of us. And I can speak for us as a group. All of us in, I was sick of being the only, and I was sick of being the only that, you know, y'all saw and thinking everything was all right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I've just been more vocal and more just like, whatever. I'm going to say what's in my head, and I don't care about awful feathers because, like, at the end of the day, I'm also part of the reason that <laughs> people was just finding out that shit was happening. Like, this shit been happening. You know what I mean? And yeah, like, yeah. And, and I don't think y'all know to the extent because y'all might see a few videos here and there, but, like, we can't go out on the weekends without seeing one of our brothers either getting like maze tased, beat up, harassed downtown. Like, that happens all the time. Y'all just don't hear about because nobody's dying. But when people start to die, y'all seeing the one percent that's on camera. Let's add to that the people that die off camera. That the the the, the justice system kind of leans the evidence towards making it seem like they were guilty. Then let's talk to the people that didn't die. They're just harassed. Then let's talk to the people that weren't even really cuffed and harassed, just afraid of the, the afraid of 12. You know what I mean? Just like, we don't mess with them. We just don't. And it's like, I, I have cop friends. I got some good cop friends, but it's like, when we think from a young age, like just being black and your your run-ins with the police starts early for us. Whether it was you yourself or your parents or family member, you saw get either wrestled. Whether they were doing illegal stuff or not, but the point is we see that early on. And we just, we've always had this, this shell when it comes to us. Mm-hmm. So like when you're listening to music and seeing people talk about stuff, it's like, it sounds fun to repeat or not. Like, <laughs> y'all go to a barbecue, it's really fuck 12. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's really folks that feel that way. And I get it. It's good cops. It's good cops. But again, like you put good cops in your system and the system that's not designed to, to, to help a certain demographic succeed. That system is going to overrule the goodness, whether you made it or not. Right. Period. Point blank. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that was real vague. And you know, we got yeah. a lot of time today, so we could dig deep into more stuff, but I just kind of want to talk from like a ceiling level. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm, oh, sorry. I'm curious from like you growing up in North Minneapolis, correct? Um, he grew up in North Minneapolis. Aaron, you were from North Minneapolis. What part of Minneapolis? I'm from St. Paul. Right. Um, east side, North St. Paul, Oakdale. And gotcha. Woodbury, so everywhere. Awesome. And uh, just from like 
people close to you, friends, family, what has it been like? And you just kind of articulate a little bit, but um, like what, what's, what's, what is said when you're handle when you're in situations with um, cops or you're in situations like what is, what's, what is coming from your parents? What are coming from your friends? I'm just curious from someone that has not experienced What, what kind of friends though? We talking white friends? We talking black friends? Black friends. It's a difference. Yeah. So when you're talking about us getting in trouble with the police or just in, or in having general. running into them. Yeah. Um, when it comes to black friends, it's funny. Cause like we just expect it, you know what I mean? We just expect it. So it's not really a conversation. Like if something happened and I can say it's out loud cause he's my boy and he, he, he would want this to be said. I remember one time I was walking in Northeast. I used to live in Northeast. I was walking down the street and all of a sudden I seen like four cops cuff the dude off the bike. And I'm like, well, Pull up, it's my boy JJ, JJ Swain. Dad used to play for the Vikes, um, head football coach over at Edison High School. Good dude, nothing but great dude in the community. He used to play for the Vikes for a little bit, played all American in Northern Iowa, good upstanding character of the community. And they hit him, right? And it's like two cop cars. He's just sitting there handcuffed. And I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to grab some ice cream. So I'm like, damn, what's going on? And Jay's getting handcuffed. He's getting roughed up a little bit. And it's just crazy because I know JJ. I'm like, why are you guys arresting this dude? And they trying to say that he stole a bike. I'm like, man, how y'all know he stole a bike? Like, and then on top of that, why are we arresting for us? You asked him, he said, no. What is the process of that? Because I guarantee you, um, I don't know how bikes work. I know bikes is mad expensive. Last bike I had was a Huffy. You know what I mean? I got that joint. I got that joint from Walmart for like $40. Yes, so like, sir. I'm using these thousand dollar bikes might have like, VIN numbers on or whatever, but yeah, I'm like, yeah. y'all gotta be able to do some research before you just got my man cuffed face on the ground in his own neighborhood where he coaches probably has players, parents walking by seeing him cuffed. Because here's my thing, y'all see a black guy cuffed on the ground, and when I say y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. When you see a black guy cuffed on the ground, what you guys see is somebody cuffed on the ground, he must be a criminal. Period. Y'all ain't thinking what it might be, what it could be. You, you don't know JJ. I know JJ got dreads. I know JJ got a beard. I know JJ looks like he fits the description. So that's what you probably think. You're like, damn, there goes another one. Yeah. Like you, you're a parent with a kid on the team. You see him like, damn, that's my son's coach. And look at him getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Mm, I thought he was different. Yeah, and so many things go on. So well, it, go back to your question. What are the black friends saying? That's what we're saying. White friends saying like they, they, they reaching out. And I do appreciate people reaching out. I can't reply. And I haven't replied just because like. I don't know if I'm ready to unload. I don't know if I'm ready to, to be like, hey, man, thanks. I appreciate it. It's all good. Because that's not, it's not that's, all good. Right. And that's that's what it's been for like the past 29 years for me. Like, hey, no, nah, it's all good, whatever. Because I'm telling you it's all good, y'all think it's all good, and y'all don't think it's a real issue, right? So. Well, that's right. And that's, and I think that's interesting as well, if I could just add on. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Um, one of the things that I will say has been most problematic for me um, is when we're talking about friend versus family, you know, um, I have, you know, all my African-American friends are, are kind of all over the place. Go ahead and say black, bro. Black. Um, bro, they're all over the place. You know, we have some saying, oh, you're burning my community. You have other people that say, fuck Target. Where was Target when Jamar Clark took a bullet to the back of his head? Thanks. Where was AutoZone? Where, where were these large corporations that you are so concerned about them now being burnt down when your people in your face? It's not even hidden anymore. See, the thing about it that he said that was so, so, so true is that this has always been happening. 
now it's just popular. And now it's popular, it's like, okay, that 1% is making everybody look bad. Um, and the thing is, like, there, there's confusion because there is a lack of understanding of what the next steps are. Mm. He said, okay, we'll kneel at a, at a football game mm. to show people that there's a problem with police brutality in America. And then uh, I, we were called un-American because I said I hated racism. They told me I hated America. It's been a narrative. Yeah. And then we said, okay, smooth. We won't do it at our job, quote, unquote, because that, that was the route that everybody took is, well, if I were to, you know, protest at my job, they would fire me too. Okay, cool. So now what we're going to do is we're going to disrupt your life. So I'm going to organize a group of 100 people to walk down Broadway so you can't move. So you recognize the inconvenience of stop and frisk. So you recognize the inconvenience of being in a position where you are powerless. You have to let me pass. Blocking I'm not asking you. And what's interesting about that to me was that when Black Lives Matter and other organizations uh, were out here and they're blocking the streets and they're out here on the highways and they're saying, I can't breathe because Eric Garner was the originator of that. Everybody was so concerned about ambulances getting to the hospital. Everybody was so concerned about parents getting back to their children. Everybody was so concerned about taking care of the elderly. But just a few weeks ago, a whole armed group of individuals stood in front of the governor's mansion, intentionally and strategically blocked <laughs> hospitals. Big strap. Yeah. Big strap. Yeah. Stopped it strategically. Nobody said anything. But I thought we were so concerned about the ambulances getting there. And this is in the middle of a pandemic. This isn't even like, you know, we just have an emergency. Literally, it's the middle of a pandemic in which people are dying. 100,000 Americans' lives have been taken by COVID-19. And then you block the way. Mm -hmm. Right. So we said, okay. You said that was acceptable. So we're not going to do that. So we're going to have um, a, a day <clears throat> where the black dollar doesn't circulate in anybody else's community but ours. Then we get called racist. What, what, uh, what, what, what was that one? So what it was basically about is we understand that a lot of these companies that are accepting our dollars so, so freely, mm -hmm. right, are not the targets that are stepping in when it's time for injustice and it's time for you to say something. The auto zones, they're not saying anything. You know, the Wendy's, T-Mobile, the McDonald's, the T-Mobile's, they're not saying anything. So it's like, okay, since you don't recognize who we are, but you recognize my dollars, you're going to recognize his absence. If you look at the population of African-Americans in the country and you look at our spending power. Just the United States, by the way. Just, just the, United the United States. States. I'm not talking about the continent of Africa, by the way, because that, that would enormously yeah. ignite these numbers. Twelfth in the world. Well, actually, that's been updated. It's eighth. Oh, we'd be, we would, so we would be the eighth. Just African-Americans, black people in the United States. Spending-wise, GDP, gross, spend, whatever you want to call that. We would be the eighth largest nation in the world. Mm. So wow. think about like, wow. what, what are the largest nations? Probably like, what, India, China, United States, whatever. So we'd be equivalent to like a France. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Be like a, we'd be the size of France. Imagine if France just stopped training with everybody. That's how big it would be if we banded together in the United States right. and stopped our dollar purchasing power. Wow. So that's, like you said, just black people within the United States is, a, is the eighth largest spending or GP. And they could be looked at as, as a spending nation. Wow. And that's so, crazy. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying is that what other way can I show you now? Yeah. You know, yeah. yes, I'm from North Minneapolis. And one uh, thing I respect about where I come from is like, yeah, it can be a little rough around the edge. But we're also the, the type of individuals where we're like, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you run your mouth and know what you're talking about. But you know, go about your business, and then you don't go about your business, and then I have to show you because I told you to go about your business, but you weren't listening. Mm-hmm. So now I'm gonna have to show you, get out my way. That's what this is. This is not the first time that a riot has broken out in North Minneapolis. There was riots in Plymouth in 1967. For the same reasons. Some people will say, oh, well, you know, there's conflicting reports about what happened during that time. Well, <clears throat> the official report is that some, some black youth got angry, they got upset, and they put a, a Molotov through one of the um, business owners. It was a Jewish guy who was a business owner, put it through there, and then everything just lit up. The unofficial story was that there was an African-American man who was talking to the police for whatever reason and the police officer and him for whatever reason allegedly got into it and even though the police officer said that he was attacked his brother was shot in the back mm-hmm. we, and we tore the city up Dang. and if you look to people like Dr. Josie um, who is a longtime historian around here civil rights she will tell you that what she saw she said there were significant um, inconsistencies in terms of jobs, the economy. There was issues where sometimes they wouldn't come pick their trash up for weeks. Wow. Sound familiar? Right. So and now here we are again. Yeah, it's, and I feel like we, a lot of people have known that too. It's like, oh my gosh, it's happening again. So you've, you've heard, hurt, hurt, hearing and knowing. Two different things, right? Because every yeah. coach I had growing up told me, if you knew better, you'd do better. So if you didn't mm-hmm. do better, you probably didn't know better. You may have heard it, but you were ignoring it. My yeah. bad. Continue what you're saying. Um, well, because, like, from my standpoint as, you know, a white guy, I'm always trying to figure out, okay, how can I help you guys out? And I just want to ask that question, like, what, did, what, did, what, what do we need to do and how can we help to the best of our ability? <clears throat> obviously, knowing and educating and listening, that's, my, that's been my thing. Being aware of it, obviously. But for the long term, going forward, what do, what do we need to do, in your opinion? Um, that's a good question. I'll and uh, yeah, I'm just going to start it off. And I'll let you bring it home. That's why I brought my attorney with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, real quick, we got to introduce Aaron. Yeah, my bad, my bad. Aaron, go ahead. Oh, hey. <laughs> are you, hey, why are you put on the sexy voice? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Um, my name is Aaron Abram. <clears throat> I originally am from North Minneapolis. I currently am serving as an attorney in the Eau Claire area, practicing criminal as well as family law. Um, I, b- before becoming an attorney uh, with the state of Wisconsin, I was a community organizer um, for Take Action Minnesota. Uh, Justice for All was the program that we were running at that time. Uh, restore the vote. Make sure you're looking that up. Restore the vote. Mm-hmm. Make sure it passes. You hear me? They're going to put a link right across right here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> 
Um, but I've also just been involved in politics um, my entire life. Uh, mother made sure that, you know, especially being over north, you know, Bobby Joe Champion, that's my godfather, um, who's currently currently an elected official. I've known um, now Attorney General Keith Ellison all my life. Um, actually, was an intern in his office for years. Nice. Um, individuals like James Everett over north mm. um, working in, in the streets with people. They do a lot of youth development work. Um, I was working actually with Mayor Sharon Sells Belton. I was on their very first, like, basically it was like a youth congress mm -hmm. where she brought the youth together and we were, you know, helping her understand what we were going through and how she could make policies and things of that nature to help us out. So I've, I've been around <laughs> to see a lot of this. Yeah. Uh, I'm not new to this, I'm true to this. So say that. Um, how do you know Ohio? Oh, that's my man, brother, man. This is my guy. So let's so, let's talk more about the group because I'm I'm actually I'm wearing a monitor's hat as you can see. Oh, so I'm repping the OGs. Okay. Um, me and Aaron met through a group. Um, so Jack and Jill of America probably never heard of it. And again, after this, you guys will hear a lot of things you never heard of before. Jack and Jill of America. I don't know how to explain it. It's a group of mothers throughout the United States who band together to create a community for their children. Right. Generally, more successful folks. Right. Would you say generally? And they're just trying to uh, raise their kids around other black kids. So Jack and Jill of America, our chapter here in the Twin Cities, started a group called Rites of Passage. Jack and Jill, I mean the mothers. And then on top of that, Mr. Henry Crosby, who is a freaking legend. Shout He's literally our father. Literally my father. Like I, I was just on the phone with him like two days ago. But um, put me on hella game. And that might be something you guys want to give him a kind of podcast and three-part series. Like he'll, he'll talk. He'll talk. Three part. So, Mr. <laughs> Crosby started a group called Rites of Passage back in 1998. Nine? 1998. What that is, it is a group of seniors in high school in the Twin Cities from all over St. Paul, Minneapolis, suburbs, north, south, east, east, west, west, all of that. It's mainly for athletes, scholars in the Twin Cities, right? Students that not necessarily going to college, but just we're trying to bring our black youth together and put them through this program, uh, which a necessity as far as. Um, growing up in this world and, and being educated and being black, that's three different things that you'll need someone guiding you. And there's a group of mentors in that group. That group is a lot of the successful businessmen and corporate um, employees in the Twin Cities. So they mentored us at age 17. So that group is important near and dear to my heart, and I'm really close to the group still. I'm, I'm one of the leaders of the uh, Alumni Association. But it's um, it's a group that's a necessity. That's how I met Aaron. We were at, I think it was my senior year. Was it the basketball game? Yes. So we got a week. Year. I came back. Yeah. So we, my group was in 2009. Yay. Um, it was, uh, we, we always have a reunion the day after Christmas. And there's a, there's a basketball game where it's like the initiates, past initiates versus the OGs. And I think I met Aaron in the post. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> where I met Aaron. He, 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 back and forth. He, he came back from school. And we, I mean, we were throwing bowls like Barkley and Rodman, and my boy. <laughs> and, <laughs> And we, you know, it was funny because we was eating later talking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but eat later talking, having a good time. And nice. then, um, we've just connected since then. And that's how we met. That's awesome. That's how we met. That's we've always stayed cool. close. And I've always admired what him and his class were doing. A lot of exemplary black um, um, black students and now, you know, employees, or business owners in the Twin Cities from his age. And I just want to be just like these guys. So I stay tight with them. That's awesome, man. That's like, a, that's an, again, never even knew about that organization, but that's freaking awesome. That's yeah, so phenomenal, man. man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And, so you, back to my and, you, and you wouldn't. And on top of that, that's partially awful. So again, moving forward, one of my things is I'm going to be quiet about this shit. So. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, so what do what do white people need to do to help progress everything and move things and have a better tomorrow going so, forward? So do you know what gaslighting is? Have you heard of that term? Briefly. Can, I do not. You could probably explain it better. Let me explain black gaslighting real quick, like urban dictionary version. So uh, sentences. It's basically like in my dumb way of uh, going at it is basically like if you draw something that's blue on the on the board and you basically tell everybody it's red. You just do it over and over again until people believe it. That's an interesting definition. I wouldn't say. Okay, so I don't know. It's it's not wrong. (laughs) Like it's, it could be that, but it's not what it is. I'm I'm not known for knowing the definition of most things. Mm -hmm. I got you. Uh, I mean, how can I describe uh, gaslighting? Um, The way that I've seen it the most is kind of like when I tell you that you're doing something to me. And then you tell me that I'm paranoid or I'm making it up. Oh, it's a it's a way for you to turn whatever you're doing to me back onto me oh. and say that like, what are you talking about? You're yeah. nuts. Got like, it. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, in this context, it could be one of just the other day because I too have been a bit more vocal mm-hmm. on social media than I have as of late. Uh, and one of the things the person said that kind of triggered me is he said, you know, this is going to be just like, you know, the vast majority of the last 10 years of them lying about what's happened. Um, and then he put in uh, hands up, don't shoot Mike Bryant. Um, he put Trayvon Martin as quote unquote the victim. And mm-hmm. I was saying, what? Oh, and uh, Mr. Smoulie, as uh, Dave Chappelle would say, Juicy Smoulie. Ju- juicy, Juicy Smoulie. Smoulie. Jesse Smollett. Yes. Shout out to Dave Chappelle. He's a fool, yeah. man. Um, and so God. my thing is, the reason why I would call something like that gaslight is because what I did is I just turned around and I said a word, and he gave me five names. I gave him nine. Right. What majority are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those situations where It'll be a thousand real situations, and then you find one juicy CBA, and you say, I knew all of this was fake. And you generalize it. I knew all of this was. Sure. I knew you were just making it up. I knew you were just being victims and victimizing yourself and mm-hmm. victimizing your community. Oh, um, it's not coming from a place of understanding. It's actually coming from a place of bias because I'm only giving you the aha moment because I believed it initially. Mm-hmm. You don't aha moment somebody um, when you're trying to understand. Right. So, yeah. Great point. Yes, I would so, say so. Gaslighting. So gaslighting. I'm gonna talk about gaslighting from a personal perspective. So again, I mean, I moved to Woodbury, Minnesota, Whiteberry, whatever you want to call it, back when I was 16 years old. Then I went on to the University of St. Thomas, which, if Woodbury was white, like St. Thomas was clear. That shit was <laughs> like just super white, right? Mm-hmm. So I spent about six years of my life. And, you know, my, my developing years around a lot of gaslighting. It was a place where I knew who I was. I'm strong. I'm vocal. I'm whatever. But just to not ruffle feathers, I would, there was a lot of things I would be apprehensive to say. And there was a lot of things that if I did say, I would be chastised through gaslighting. And, oh, bro, you're playing the black card, man. Come on, bro. Like, oh, you think he's, man, he was a racist. He was this. He was this. Oh, man, she's not. And it's like. If you're not strong in your opinion, it's hard to move past gaslighting, right? 
if you're very strong in either your opinion or numbers, that might not be as big as an issue. But when you're in a place, and I'm telling you, I guarantee you, y'all, y'all be in rooms with black people, but it's still more white than black people. Yeah. And you guys have the power. You guys have the, the momentum, if you will. There's going to be rooms where someone's either afraid to say something, they say something, they kind of get shut down. And they're going to be afraid because they don't want to say nothing to y'all because like, oh, this is just going to, yeah, y'all going to invite me on no more. They're going to think this and that. Oh, he's playing the pity party. He's playing the pity card. And it's like, nah, man, it's not that. And we go back to church on Sunday. We leave our white communities and go back to our black communities, go back to our barbecues, churches, barbershops, whatever. And we feel empowered. He's like, nah, you're right. No, I just got whatever. So again, y'all went to the black guy, proved to the black guy, proved to the black guy that what he was saying was false. Went back and sleep fine at night knowing, okay, well, I've heard about this stuff. Now I just proved from this one person, which we just ganged up on. <laughs> and I, I was able to come out with my conclusion. Meanwhile, that guy goes back knowing that he kind of just failed his whole, his, his whole demographic by not standing his ground. But that's a hard thing. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of knowledge. And honestly, there's some scary folks out there with some facts that are very misleading that can make you even believe. So like you said, when you're like, look at a line, think it's, think it's blue, but it's actually red. Like, that's kind of gaslighting. You just convinced me something I was almost positive of because you had more power than I did. Got so that, I think that's the biggest thing I've experienced, especially, you know, being in a lot of white, white, um, white environments. Gaslighting is huge. So, okay. So if I'm understanding this correctly, you know, uh, it, for me, if, if I'm in a room again in that same situation where it's like, you know, there's a single black guy or whatever it is, like my job more so is, is simply not to try and turn the situation back on him, but just listen and be a part of the situation with him. I mean, yeah, you can do that. And it's also just about yeah. understanding your place in the world. Underst- you know okay. what I'm understanding that um, while it may not be as official of a caste system as they have in other countries, um, race does play a huge role in people's day-to-day lives. Right. Um, yeah. The fears that they have, the way that they interpret. Now, one of the, to me, the primary reason for race is the establishment of power. That's why they, they codified it into law. Oh, you might want to say that one more time. Like, yeah, literally, white and blacks codified into law in mm. order to justify indentured servitude and then eventually slavery. Right. Mm. So there is a power dynamic that comes with being white because, and it's just sometimes a perception that people have because if they see you walking down the street and see me walking down the street, it's going to be a different response right. just based off of what we see. Also, let's look at the environment that people are put in. Um, I'll say one of the most crazy experiences I had, I used to work at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh in 2016. Um, of course, because this is just how unfortunately a lot of um, corporate type environments work or university uh, as a black male, a lot of the black males who went to the school were automatically attracted to me. Like, yo, you a collegiate administrator, what's up, man, you know? And so, yeah, that was cool. But I had one student who, uh, he's from Milwaukee. Now, if you know anything about Milwaukee, Milwaukee is the most segregated city mm-hmm. in, the, in the United States. Well, railroad, right? Yeah. Um, North America. And, and I had yeah. a student literally say to me, he said, yo, Aaron, I don't know how to act around them. And I said, excuse me? Keep in mind, I'm from Minneapolis, right? I'm, I, I come from a place where... Uh, your your economics kind of determines who you're around. That means I grew up around more or less. My, yeah, so, yeah, more some, less. Of my, some of my best friends um, are Caucasian. I also have my Hmong homeboys, my Somalian homeboys. You know what I'm saying? My Hispanic homeboys. Because we were just that, that was the environment we were in. 
we were all in it together. So I never had to separate how I acted in front of different people before right. because I'm just used to living in a diverse type area. Right. Um, that was when it really hit me about the impact of the segregation is he said, yo, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? Piss somebody off. I don't want to do whatever. Um, I've also heard that from some of my really good Caucasian friends. Never met, never met a black person until they were 18. Met. Wow. That's, that's powerful. And if you look at the stats, I was just reading an article a couple months ago that said, if you look at the stats, a vast majority of America, their friends are of the same demographic as they are. Vast majority. So pause that real quick. Pause that. Think about that for a second. We're talking about white folks not meeting anybody black to their 18. But we all got cable. And we all watching the news. Cops. Cops were big show when we was growing up. And I used, I, used, I used to laugh about cops because, like, funny thing about cops is, like, it'd be in our neighborhoods. But, like, we, it was never wild like that. Like, it was wild. But cops made it sound like that's what the hood was on every day. And it's not that crazy, right? It's not a fiend breaking into a bank and... You know, starting a bomb fight. You know what I mean? So, like, if you're from a place where you never met a black person before, and all you're watching is 50 Cent videos, uh, uh, cops, all you're watching is movies, all you're watching is uh, them rap battles on YouTube you used to watch growing up, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The cassette joints. Yes. Your perception of black people is already off. And that could cause someone, no, not could, it it will cause somebody to be a racist because all you're seeing is violence, um, loudness, and ignorance. Sure. Uh, Period. Yeah. Dang. So my bad. Keep going. I just I just want to make sure we we caught the impact of people not meeting black folks to eighteen yeah. and understand how racism is systematic and how that even before you even encounter race you can be racist. So yeah, because race is a power dynamic, right? And and it's a power dynamic because you could have the entire like populace of North Minneapolis say this is what we want. And then you can have five elected officials who look nothing like a vast majority of that populace who says, you know what? We're good. Mm-hmm. That easy. Yeah. So um, really just understanding where you are, like you individually are, in terms of privilege, in terms of understanding, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can walk down the street and I don't have those type of fears. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, <clears throat> to me, what hurt me most about old boy dying was the fact that he was in a position where he called out to his mother in his last moments. I later found out his mom's been dead for almost two years. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So what that tells me is that in those last moments, the, the first person that ever took care of you, the one person that I know in my mom, Latouche Abram, I know you're here. I know my mom will do whatever is necessary. And my mom calls me every morning the day after a Trayvon happens, a Eric Garner happens, because she sees me. Mm. She sees me every time. That's what I'm concerned about, is that she has to live with that. And, like, I I didn't understand it growing up. Like, as a teenager, it's just, you know, she's a single parent. Um, and it was just me and her, but I never understood. I'm like, yo, why do you stay up until I come home? Mm. That don't make sense to me. Go to sleep. I'll be fine. I I never understood why even in college she would do the same thing. 
if you knew I was going somewhere where it was going to be a large group of people or something like that, she stayed up until I texted her on the way. Oh. Wow. Because that's a fear that she has to live with every day. And that, that as a parent, she can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy. Yeah. And, and if, if you're mom, like I, I put on Facebook the other day, I said, you know, in terms of the situation, he called out to his mom in his last moments. My mom called me out of fear. Why did you talk to your mother there? Mm. Like, why did you talk to your mom? Actually, no, actually answer that, please. Have you guys spoken to your parents today or yesterday? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. What do you guys talk about? She asked if, was, if I was okay. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the on. only thing that she's been texting me about is how's everything going? Okay. Yeah. She, yeah. Are you being smart? What What are you up to? Are you safe? Gen- generally worried. Like Gen- genuinely worried. Yes. For your yeah. Life, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now imagine so. your mom calling you about that every Saturday you wake up after going out Friday night. Every Sunday you wake up after going out Saturday night. Um, waiting up every time. I mean, it's funny because I used to laugh. My my curfew was ten thirty high school. I'm grown. Good GPA. Same. Same. I had thirty. I had a bunch of offers. You know, good student. We doing no drugs. Like I just want to hang out, man. And my curfew was that. Why? Because I'm coming on midnight. My mom's got to stay up to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just something that like our parents go through all the. They genuinely worry for us. And I never got into that. I got a lot of little homies. I got a lot of little cousins, um, younger siblings, but they look kind of my age, but like nephews, nieces, and I feel the same way. Because here's my thing: I've gone through. <clears throat> let's start, you know, let's start telling some testimonials straight up. I've gone through times in my life where I've done everything I was supposed to do, and I still get treated, mistreated by authorities. Like imagine, imagine y'all studying for a test, knowing everything. Writing what you think. Well, no, writing the right answer to someone just say, er, wrong. When you know one plus one is two, you put two in there and it's wrong. Right? Where am I going with this? Okay, cool. My whole life, I mean, my mom was strict. I couldn't leave the house with a do-rag on. That's why I started wearing wave caps. Low-key, I wore wave caps because you could wear a wave cap under the hat and the tail didn't come out. We grew up in the in early 2000s, man. We was, we was wild with the shit. But I couldn't leave the house with a do-rag on. My parents didn't let me sag my shit. They didn't let me say my pants at all. Matter of fact, my pants was crazy. People knew my pants because they was a crazy pants. Like, if you came to the crib sagging, like, my dad gro- grabbing grown man's pants, like, nah, brother, you got to let me tighten that up for you, right? <laughs> couldn't, couldn't sag my pants. Um, I had to speak proper English when I was in the house, right? So, for example, like, damn, mom, I ain't doing that. Like, you ain't? Ain't ain't a word. You aren't doing it. Stuff like that, right? The way we speak with our friends' school, I mean, they know it, but it's like we're not allowed to speak like that in our homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, always taught to be respectful to the police, teachers. Uh, I mean, I got a little trouble, but at the end of the day, was, I never cross crossed the line, right? Um, get a grades so you can move to the suburbs someday, get a great job, and... In my eyes, I'm, I'm eliminating myself from that. So here, cool. Now we're talking about times where all that, but I think that an upstanding citizen did nothing illegal, not stealing, not doing anything illegal. And I'm still face down on the ground like Mr. Floyd was a few days ago for no reason. Why? Because I fit a description. Why? Because I'm six foot two, 255 pounds. And if you don't know me, I'm an angry looking, I'm an angry looking dude. I'm, I'm a suspect. I'm scary. I'm intimidating, right? Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was walking home. I used to live in Northeast Minneapolis, 1315, um, 13th Street. Um, Northeast Minneapolis. I was just walking home. 
I was at a gala. So I was in a suit, clean, right? Not threatening. Um, three piece, looking good. You know what I'm saying? Pocket, yeah, yeah, looking great. Y'all, y'all follow me. It's good. You know what it is, right? <laughs> Pocket square, all that. I think I had uh, uh, what them Charles Lewis joints on? Which one? What are they, the ascots? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask God to jump off. Can't, so can't say it enough. It's right. looking good. <laughs> right. So anyways, I'm walking to my house, which is about the Uber driver dropped me off at the gas station. Hungry. About to grab a piece of whatever. Stop at the gas station. The gas station is like two blocks away from my house. And I'm walking. I'm walking. I kind of got a pee. Had a few to drink, but I wasn't drunk at this point. I don't myself. I, I stopped drinking at 1230. It's probably like 2.05. I was like, oh, let me go in this bar. It was locked, but we kept going. Keep walking. All of a sudden, I hear sirens just pull up around the corner. I'm talking, hit the curve, hard, whatever. And I'm just like, oh, damn, it's crazy. Now, mind you, I'm thinking back to my training because every black kid has training at a young age. Um, You see sirens, you with friends, whatever it is, you stop moving first. You put your hands up. You become completely vulnerable. Even if it's not for you, just don't mistake, right? If you see a car, if you see sirens behind us, we're driving, pull over. Don't guess, oh, he's not coming from me, he comes from me. Right. That's the things we're taught as kids. So I didn't even think he was coming from me. I didn't do shit. I was, at a, I was a gala. I was raising money for breast cancer, right? And I pulled up, a dude pulled up, and I'm like, oh, snap, put my hands up, thinking he's going to drive by. All right, cool, keep walking. Nah, man, I'm still up. The car's behind me. He's like, hey, freeze, freeze. I'm like, oh, shit, what's about to go on? Like, I don't know who he's looking for. I don't know. Maybe he think I'm somebody. So I'm like, hey, no, it's me. Like, I turned around like, yo, sir, it's me. Whatever. He's like, hey, turn around, blah, 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 this and that. Just screaming. Put your fucking hands on the wall. X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Screaming. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. All right. And then two more cars come by. And you hear, like, the radio's like, hey, we found him. We found him. Come on. Let's go. Let's get it. And so now I'm just in front of this, like, it's like a movie theater, restaurant, whatever. And there's three, maybe four cars. I'm blacked out a little bit. There's like three or four cars behind me. Like four or five cops. It's one under. It's one off-duty cop who's just wearing some clothes, but he's got his badge on. Mm-hmm. And they cut. I mean, I was like, "Hey, man, I don't know what you're looking for." Comes, cuts me, throws me as well. The fuck you doing in the bar? I'm like, I wasn't in the bar. He's like, "Why were you trying to break it?" I'm like, I wasn't trying to break in the bar. Which again, like, I don't think they pull over the corner waiting for somebody to break into a bar. So I think what happened is they're looking for somebody. And in order to interrogate a random citizen, they found a reason to yeah. get me because I yeah. pulled some whatever sure. and I fit the description. So that's what's going through my head. I'm like, I, sw- I swear I didn't do it. I swear I didn't do it. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, shut up. We'll, 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 we'll this, that, another one we see. I'm like, what's your ID? I'm like, yo, it's in my pocket. He's like, grab it. I'm like, sir, I'm, I'm not grabbing my ID. Like, you can grab it for me. I'm not reaching my pocket. I've seen this movie before. And then they just get crazy. With, I just need to ask, like, I don't know what's going on. What are you looking for? But you guys have the wrong guy. This is my neighborhood. I live here. I'm a taxpayer. Can you guys please tell me what's going on? And they're just telling me all, you know, all sorts of cuss words, telling me to shut the fuck up, X, Y, Z. Handcuffs on, dumb tight, lift me up. Uh, throw me in the back of this car. And they just talking crazy, like wild outside. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm telling you guys, you guys got the wrong guy. And here I am, got a little scratch on my face. Um, my clothes are completely messed up. And in the back of the car, and I'm just thinking, it's fucked up. Like, what is going on? So then all of a sudden, after like 20 minutes in the back of that car, I'm like, hey, uh, you're free to go. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sitting here like, what you mean I'm free to go? Like, I need some explanation, right? Because you, you had to fill me in a little bit. Hey, I got a suit on. But now you're doing too much. B, B, I got a degree. C, my record is clean. And when I say clean, I mean like Mr. Clean, squeaky clean. B, I wasn't doing nothing. You know what I mean? 
So y'all went through all this trouble to treat me like I was moving hell away or something like that. I need an explanation. That's going through my head. I definitely didn't say that. That's that's how you end up in jail. Right. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, hey, sir, you know, I know you guys are just doing your job. Can you tell me what's going on? He's like, don't ask me no fucking questions. You're lucky we let you go. Take your ass home and go to bed. I'm like, sir, I just live in the neighborhood. I just want to know. He's like, just take your ass home. Boom. When I tell you I got home and I was the most distraught I'd ever been, it was, it was fucking insane. Yeah. That all happened to a person which... And I'm, I'm going back to my mom's rules. Everything she's talking, put your pants up, speak respectfully. Sir, yes, sir, no, sir, all of that. Um, I don't even resemble what I think is gangster. I took off the Air Force ones. I took off the do-rag. I took off the sagging pants. But I can't take this off. I can't take off the fact that I'm 6'2", 255 pounds. I can't take the fact that you got, you, yes, you guys are, are, predisposed or either taught systematically that that is what a criminal looks like. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I probably had like four or five run-ins like that with the cops. Four or five? Yeah, that's, probably, that's the last one. That was probably like two years ago. Not even 30 yet. Man, shit. I'll tell y'all about when I was 18. How much time got? Well, you're here to talk as long as you want, man. <laughs> so, it was my dad just, my dad just turned um, my big cousin. 13, correct? 13. My dad was, um, he had just turned 50. It was his 50th birthday party. He was supposed to go to the store and get some soda. I was my big cousin. I was with my little brother. He's two years younger than me. And, you know, we just, we went off our own thing, right? When we got the keys, you know, all the families at the crib, so they weren't worried about us. Like, man, let's go hang out. Yeah, like, let's go. Whatever. Like, our big cousin was driving. He playing loud music. We having a good time. And we took a detour through White Bear. White Bear Lake, White Boy Lake, right? Mm-hmm. If you know about White Bear Lake, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, We're familiar. Affluent, okay? Oh, good word. Like that? That was good. Yeah, no, I was reading before Affluent. I came here. Yeah. <laughs> it's in the age. I just didn't get that. <laughs> so, um, it certainly wasn't Vibra, you know? That's V. Anyways, go ahead. That, that is V. You're right. You're Thank right. you. So, we, we just driving. And a lot of people don't know this story. A lot of people didn't know the last story, except the people I lived with at the time. But um, we was just driving, and um, all of a sudden, we went to McDonald's. We stopped. And we went, hey, man, we heard a person live out here. This back when, you know, it was alive, obviously. Oh, let's go see the house. So we're going to be driving. All of a sudden, there was a cop following us for like a minute. And we were like, yo, this is wild. Like, what does this dude want? And then my cousin was like, all right, let's just take a random right. Because that's, that's what black people do when the cops behind you. You take a random right for no reason to make sure you're not getting followed. Right. Because our, our three, <laughs> for real, for real though, that's, that's, that's for real. If a cop, dude, if, if a cop's in front of me, I slow down. I don't pass him, right? If a cop's behind me, I take a random exit on the highway. If he's still following me, I get back on the highway. If he's still following me, I'm like, damn, it's too late. Yo ass, they ain't coming for you, right? Right. So. We took a random right, and all of a sudden we're, we're in this area or kind of corner, and then boop, boop, turns on his lights. Like, oh shit, man, what'd you do? Like, you're not paying the tabs? What, like, what's going on? I'm thinking something stupid. Wait, were you driving and you were for No, no, no. My cousin was driving. He was 21. Got it. Okay. So I'm, I'm, in the sure. I'm in the passenger seat. My little brother, he's 11 years old. He's in the back eating. Uh, some, I think, actually, we didn't get McDonald's. We got like KFC or something. Like, so my brother's just eating chicken, like whatever in the back seat. <laughs> and my cousin was driving. And he's 21 years old. I've said like three times, my bad, but I'm just trying to paint the scene for you guys. Yeah, yeah, so sure. we get there, cop, boop, boop. I'm like, oh, snap, getting pulled over. And I'm thinking, all right, let's, um, let's, we just stopped, right? 
And then he, he got out the car so fast. And I've been pulled over a million times. Nobody gets out of the car that fast. And like, hey, turn your car off. Turn your car off. And we're like, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? And then another car comes. I'm like, oh, shit. Another car comes through a backyard grass. I'm like, oh, shit. Another car. State trooper. Sheriff. It's like nine. Ah, oh, God, nine might be a street. It's probably seven cars behind us. And they point guns. Boom, point at us. Mind you, I'm 13. My brother's 11. My cousin's 21. Point guns like, oh, put your hands up where we can see them. Put your hands up where we can see them. And I'm sitting there like, what the hell? Like, dude, what do you got in this car? Like, tell me now. Because, like, I, I need to know. He's like, not the man, not the man. Just put your hands, blah, blah, blah. My cousin's hands up. I remember this, like, vividly. Sings out the window. Hey, it's not that serious. Hey, it's not that serious. He's like, put your fucking head in the window. And I'll tell you if it's fucking serious or not. Shit. <laughs> and you know, it, it kind of blacked out after that, but I just remember like the cops slowly coming under my seatbelt while my hands were up, whipping me out of the car, 13 years old, cuffing me, putting me against the hood of the car, taking my cousin out. It was real rough for him because I was still a kid, but it was rough for me that he should have took my cousin out. We're complying by the way. Throwing him against the car. Actually, he's on he's on the pavement. And then my little brother, like, they treat him the best because like he's eleven, right? And he's eating obviously harmless like if anybody's a criminals to them it's us so he just grabbed they like knock his food out of his hand and they grab him and they just like you know he was just kind of standing with a cop now while this is happening i'm on the ground i'm on the i'm on the i'm on the hood my cousin on the ground they're like three canines like they have dogs like bro i felt like el chapo i'm 13 years old mm-hmm. yeah. just driving in white bear like yeah i feel like el chapo i'm like yo what the hell is going on so I get thrown in the back of the car. I'm crying like a bitch. I mean, I'm bawling. My cousin's crying. And my little brother, he's absolutely bawling. And then the parents came and they were pissed. Hey, we shouldn't have been in White Bear Lake in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. But our parents came and they picked us up. Well, that's a ridiculous statement, but yeah, right? No, what, what I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah what I mean is like, yeah. we were supposed to go to the store to get some soda. Yeah. Right. Why are you boys, parent, yeah, why right. are you in White Bear Lake? Right? Gotcha. So we're just thinking like, Growing up, I was never afraid of police as much as I was afraid of my parents finding out I had been with the police. Yeah, so, like, right. as, as messed up as that was, in the back of my head, I knew this would be, I was still young and naive. So, I didn't think I was in real danger with the cops. I thought there was a misunderstanding. And mm-hmm. there was there was a legitimate reason that they were doing this. So, I'm just like, man, mama going to come here. She's going to beat my ass. Like, I'm, yo, y'all better take me to jail. Because, like, whatever I'm going back home to, that's going to be third times worse than the pen, right? Yeah. So, they come and they, whatever, they screaming, they screaming. And they're talking to the cops, and they finally uncuff me, uncuff my cousin. And they're like, hey, ma'am, sorry, we got a report from an under, from an off-duty officer that said you guys had a weapon in the car. Um, and you were driving towards, I don't know what they were driving. We, they said we were driving towards, but we had a report that you had a, a weapon in the car. And uh-huh. as a kid, I was like, damn, no, sir, we didn't have no weapon. We saw it. We didn't mean it. My parents are that way, too, because that's, you know, that's how we are. Like, like we get mad, but at the same time, we'll never get mad to the cops. Like, we're thinking, like, oh, you're so gracious for not taking these boys to jail for doing nothing because you totally could. Mm-hmm. Right. So we get home, and we're getting yelled at. We're getting screamed at for not being what we're supposed to. Like, this and that. You let, yeah, I mean, his, his name's Yemi. Yeah, I mean, you let your little cousins in danger. How dare you do that? Like, blah, 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 this and that. Like, now they see some things they don't need to see. Ooh, blah, blah. Hey, I'm scarred for life, right? I had this traumatic, like, I had guns and dogs pointed at me. I was in eighth grade. Guns and dogs pointed at me. 
all because of a quote unquote mission statement. Now, here's my thing. Here's my thing. I've seen a guy go into a church, shoot up a church and get treated better than I got treated for allegedly, maybe, possibly, but not really. But we ain't got no evidence. Could be not kind of have a gun in the car. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. And you're 13 years old. 13 years old. Yeah. And and I'm thinking to myself, like, how do you trust authority to that level anymore as 13 like you're you haven't even developed as a a man so at that age because the way we were raised we were raised to stay out of the cops way right and just like don't mess with the police whatever i didn't really think that yet i didn't have the after police mentality until i started getting older and you know i'm starting in high school we're hanging out now and every time we get together some cops bust some stuff up hey y'all whatever and like they just they buzz kills all the time or like you see him arresting your friends you see him taking people you know to jail you see this and that's when it start clicking like I ain't do shit when I was 13. Right. That wasn't them making a mistake. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have made a mistake like that with a white dude. Right. They wouldn't have made a mistake like that if I was in my old neighborhood taking a spin. Maybe because of some black guys in White Lake, driving around Lake, and someone called and said they had a gun. Yeah. So, I thought we was a nasty-ass Nissan Altima. It was like 1987 <laughs> Nissan Altima. I'm like, uh, that's deep. And it's, I mean, just to add to that, you know what I'm saying? I've, I didn't have no interaction like that at 13. Mm-hmm. Living in North Minneapolis, I personally did I see absolutely. Um, I had a lot of positive interactions actually with police officers. Remember, I was telling you that my family been in politics. My family's been involved in the community, right? Um, you know, more water aisle. But the one thing that I, I can, him. okay. Um, yeah, let me get let me get more water. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, the one thing that I would say is most interesting though is <clears throat> appreciate you. The underlying police state that we were always a part of, but nobody ever wanted to recognize. Say that one more time. The underlying police state that we were living under, but nobody wanted to actually recognize. Right. Um, What I mean by that is everywhere I went, there was police. Mm. It it was was normal to me. I I never felt a type of way because it's like, oh, it's the police. Oh, it's the police. But like you go to park. I go to Firewell. Shout out to Firewell Park. We used, to, we used to bust you on football, by the way. Man, listen, <laughs> anybody got no time for any type of lies. Uh, but like, shout out to Fowler, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're just youngins playing on the on the uh, playground, you know what I'm saying? We're youngins on the basketball court, uh, uh, on the top, the cement top, you know what I'm saying? Not even inside of the cement top. Triple ram. Yeah, and um, sometimes you would have police officers that would come and they would just sit there. They didn't bother nobody, right. therefore we weren't too concerned, mm-hmm. but once again, it to me is the um, underlying police state that we're always used to. I go downtown, there's police officers. Um, I go to the mall, right? Especially in the Yeah, we call them security. We just don't call them police officers. Right. But at almost every step of my life, whether good, bad, or in between, I've always been around a police officer. And notice I keep saying the word police officer. Right. Because when you get outside of a certain demographic, they're not police officers no more. They're Andy, Ted, mm. Christina, Trish, Brandon, right. Aaron, which is interesting because it's the folks who are living with those individuals that are the ones that have the audacity to tell me in North Minneapolis that it's all my fault mm-hmm. because they don't see a police officer. They see a bowling partner. They see a clergyman. They see a a cook. A mechanic. Yeah, a mechanic. Somebody who makes some bomb-ass ribs. 
youth football coach, yeah, teacher, whatever it is, and you know neighbor. Why? Yeah, because I read something that said that in Minneapolis, only two percent of our force lives within the city limits. Mm. That means ninety-eight percent of the people that are policing your area don't know you. And guess what that does? I tell you from, from my personal position uh, as a lawyer, right? I, I'm in Eau Claire. I take cases in Eau Claire, but I also understand the people of Eau Claire. But sometimes I'll take cases, especially criminal ones, and uh, uh, chips or children in need of protective services cases mm-hmm. in other counties where I have zero contact. And sometimes I have to check myself because I'm like, damn, another meth case? What are they doing out there? Start to generalize a little bit. Start to generalize because you have no relationship with the people. So you're just a police officer. And that's all the public workers. Because I think about that too. It's funny. When I when I was growing up, I was in the North St. Paul School District, and none of my teachers lived in North St. Paul. I always thought that was crazy. They all lived in Woodbury. Okay. You don't want to live in the same place you teach. And these are also the teachers who told me at a young age that you know, even though I got good grades, there I had issues, behavioral issues. I needed. They told me I had ADD. They tried to send me to special ed, stuff like that. Right? Thank God I had a mama that wasn't having that. But there was a lot of. I just remember, especially I had a lot of black kids for no reason. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I'm like, damn, that show is. It's a lot of parents are like, oh, you not think for no reason? You, 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 not no reason at all. But I'm saying in the school, I'm like, he's not like that's my boy Johnny. Like he's not special at all. We was just whatever having a combo, but mm-hmm. whatever, go about my business. But then I get to Woodbury. And it's crazy because it's like Mrs. Mrs. Von Rude, Von Ruden. That's my boy Josh's mom teaching home ec. Like, oh, you got kids in there? Or like after, you know, whatever, Mr. Paul, like I go kick it with my boys after school. I'm like, damn, my, my woodshop teacher in the kitchen, like drinking yeah. a beer. Like that was wild to me seeing police officers, teachers, public workers, people that worked in our communities. Already. living in our communities. Yeah. right? Why don't we do that in these other areas that are quote-unquote problematic? Because uh-huh. here's my thing. If I'm a dude from North Minneapolis and I'm a cop in, in, in Plymouth, I'm busting in parties a little differently, right? Coach Carter, great movie because I love Coach Carter. That it's like the kids from Richmond, Virginia, and then it's like the, the Palo Alto kids or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, man, we're going to this white party, man. We're going to the suburb. We're going to this, thinking what it is. And it's like funny because I lived in the city. I lived in Woodbury at that time and it wasn't that. But like they had this big mentality. So think about being a cop thing. Like these kids are all just, life's great. They got all this money. Woo, this and that. And this me just putting it in reverse so y'all can see. If I'm a cop in the suburbs coming from the hood, I'm treating y'all different because I'm like, man, these kids ain't never had no runs with the law. These kids, their life is perfect. I'm going to ruin these kids' life. Mm-hmm. Or I'm be like, you know, they can get a drink at the game. Or I'm going to start pulling teenagers over. Vice versa, you come from, you know, Scariesville, Minnesota. And now you're all of a sudden a cop on, on the east side, right? You're a cop over south. You're a cop on the north side. You're a cop in Brooklyn Park. A yeah. little bit of trigger happy, right? Philando. A mm-hmm. little bit of um, um, anytime somebody gets loud with you, you get scared. You don't know what it is. And, and you might you might start relating the force right away or, or calling for backup. If you're in an area, period, that you're not comfortable with, you're not going to be able to make the judgments. Mm-hmm. My, group, my aunt was on the north side. We spent the weekends on the north side. Uh, I got family in Chicago. We spent a lot of time in West Chicago, South Chicago, and it wasn't my hood. So I wasn't super comfortable there, but like my family was always comfortable there. Vice versa. People come to St. Paul, visit me. Hey man, don't, don't, don't leave me in the car too long now. And it's like, hey, you good, man. This, you good here. 
Yes. And say I come visit my boy, like, hey man, let me lock my car. I'm like, can I park in the back? It's like, man, you good? It's like, you sure? It's just, people are naturally not comfortable in whether it's hoods or but just areas they're not from. And I think if you uh, you need to be living or have lived in the community you're serving, period. No reason that Minneapolis cops should have been from from Oakland. Yes. Do you think that there's a and fill me in if I'm wrong or not, but like, do you think that the the amount of people living in Minneapolis, there's just a shortage. Is that why there's so many people that live outside of it, that out of Minneapolis? And if, if that's the case, if you're saying, oh, we need more cops and we don't have enough that actually live here, um, how would you get someone from outside in a suburb like Edina or somewhere, so somewhere I, out of there? How I, do you get them comfortable? I don't, I don't have those answers. But what I will tell you is let's take a step back to where we were saying before. Yeah. How many black kids are growing up to want to be police officers? After growing, literally being afraid and hating the police. Right. That's the Dang, issue. Then. Yeah. That's the issue. It's yeah. not the fact that, because if you, like, dude, there's full ride scholarships for black people to go to the police academy. They want black people so they can put them in neighborhoods. But the thing is, like, we're systematically disposed to not liking them, not wanting to be a part of them. And let's say, hey, it's a job. I remember when Rick Ross came out? He was a cop or whatever. And that was a big, like, damn. This that big. He was a CO. Rick Ross was a cop. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was big news. He was a corrections officer. And okay. I was like, damn, we were, like, we, 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 considers that a cop because he had to snitch on somebody. Wow, they exactly, exactly. So, like, we, we, we as a as a community, we was ready to pull his G card for that. Yeah. So imagine that just being a kid, maybe not being you know a four student, but wanting to make some of your life and going to the police academy, getting a job, and now you're creating for your community, right? You you bring in a good income. You have a nine to five. You're able to raise a family, buy a home in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But the way you're doing it is by the one way that's just looked down on the community. You're going to get chained away from doing that. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's your only choice, right. you're not going to be a cop. Right. I got a lot of respect for my black friends and his cops right now. I couldn't do it. Hell no. I got you. Hell no. And, and I have, I mean, and this is why, this is another thing that I need everybody to know. Blacks, people are not a monolith. What is, can you explain that? Okay. Mono is one. Mm-hmm. Lith is lith. I'm struggling now. <laughs> so what that means is that we do not all think the same. Sure. Mm. We do not all act the same. We do not. Uh-oh. We I'm do not. Myself all, alive. My bad. Uh, we do not uh, all want to eat or can't eat the same things. Right. And because in his experience, he's telling you, like, yo, nobody want to grow and be no cop. You know what I'm saying? Like. I will say it's not just them being predisposed to early on um, some of the some of the issues they have with police officers. Uh, I think that number one, if you want people, police officers, to move into the community, give them tax incentives like you give any corporation that decides they want to come in here. <clears throat> why? Why? You know what I'm saying? If you really want them within the city of Minneapolis, and um, let's say they're a first time home buyer, give them the first time home buyer discount percentage. Turn around, also give them something on top of that. Same way we do for our military brethren and sisters. When they come back, you know, and they're first time home buyers, the military drop bread on their house or them. Do the same gotcha. things. Yeah. Um, I also think that it would be uh, a lot easier for um, a lot of people of color, not just black people, but people of color generally. They can be part of the system, but you have to show them that there's something that they need to be part of. Because see, right now, yeah. what's happening? Show them that they're welcome. Not even about being welcome. You know what I'm saying? I, I I like being careful with terms like that because, okay. like, 
I don't have to, I shouldn't have to feel welcome to something that's already mine. I pay taxes. If I want to become a police officer, that's my right. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I'm saying is, is that we have to look at the fact that if Aaron Abram, as a, as a black man in North Minneapolis, who wants to become a police officer, who's seen heads roll for absolutely no reason, who understands the relationship that needs to be done in, in my community, but I'm looking at a force that spoils the good people. Why enter in? So it's not that I don't want to do it. Is that why enter in when I'm seeing yeah. that the same people, I mean, there was, there was a Lieutenant, um, I want to say his name wrong, but, uh, there was a Lieutenant a couple years ago who was, uh, removed from a, a pretty high up position because he began questioning, um, some of the tactics of the Minneapolis police, um, you know what I'm saying? In, in terms of how they were interacting with certain folks. Uh, and you have people like Bob Kroll, um, look him up, K-R-O-L-L, who is, uh, the Federation of Police President here. And dude has been a long time accused of being a racist. Why would I want that person to represent me as a black man? Matter of fact, if you look at his history, he, on every single time somebody has been shot by a police officer, Jamar Clark, he's out there. He's saying it wasn't the police fault. They did absolutely nothing wrong. Da-da-da-da-da. Then you turn around and you have another shooter with Philando. He's out there. Guess what? No, that didn't happen. Da-da-da-da-da-da. That police officer was scared. We need to stop uh, inflicting this type of craziness on our police officers because you're making us less safe. And then you have this guy named Mohammed Noor in North Minneapolis who, who with his partner, responded to a, um, it was supposed to be a domestic call. Somebody comes up to their car, slaps the top of it. He gets scared. Bah! He lets one off. He kills a woman by the name of, of Justine DeMond. That's the first time you never heard Bob Cole's voice. That's the first time. He, he had nothing to say. And it just so happened that that's the first black officer wow. that was being charged with the same thing. And he got 12 and a half years. Wow. Wow. For what many deem an accident. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he should not have been held accountable for her losing her life. Yes, you need to be held accountable. But you got 12 and a half years, no video. And it took you four days to lead an arrest with somebody who killed somebody on tape. I watched this man's life leave from his eyes. You're talking George Floyd. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You can literally see the moment that man dies. Yeah. And it took you four days and a trip to Florida. Right. Allowed him to get to Florida. In order for that to happen. So Dang. this is this is not something that um, can be handled right now. I, I, beyond a few things I was saying, I don't know how else to answer. I do have some some good folks that I know um, that have worked for Minneapolis Police Department, um, and, and like one of my favorite people in the world. You know what I'm saying, uh, Mama Delgado. You know what I'm saying. She's from over north, and she's she's one that'll tell you. She'll tell you both sides of things. If she feel like you being stupid, she's going to tell you, you being stupid and this was going to happen. And so if you get into police because you decided that you wanted to do blase, blase, blah, it is what it is. Now, on the other hand, she also holds police officer accountable and people don't like that. They don't like to hear that. 
but she does what she needs to do. And that's why I have respect for her. I have respect for her profession. Um, I also understand that I'm part of a fraternity, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Um, we just had a brother of ours who went to the, what we call the Omega chapter. Okay. He was one of the police officers. I believe it was in, it was in, he was a state trooper. Um, and he was killed in the line of duty. Right. Chasing somebody who, who was trying to literally take him and other people out. Mm-hmm. He laid his life down. I got to respect that. Yeah. Cause I don't, you know, I'm the type of individual. I know a lot of people can say that they would act in a certain way, but I, I just know that I'm a principled person. There are certain people in my life that I will lay my life down for. Mm-hmm. Certain people <laughs> is the key there. Yeah. He laid his life down for somebody he never knew. Mm-hmm. I got to respect that. Right. But you just have to make sure that the system is changing along with the, the infusion of new people and ideas and ways in which you have community police interactions. It can't be this continued um, surface level mm. division yeah, like interaction. Did you yeah. know that it's part of the um, agreement between the, the, the union of police and everybody else that you can't talk to them for three days after police involved shooting? At all? Three days. You have to three days. And that's for anybody. Why do you think that? Why do you think that is? That means if anybody comes in, you gotta wait three days. Well, I mean, the conspiracy. conspiracy (laughs) Don't ask. Don't ask us why we think that. Yeah, the conspiracy theorist in me is saying, "Yo, we need three days to get our get our story together. Get the stories right. Get everybody on the same page. Figure out what we gonna tell them." Now, one of the things as a criminal defense attorney that I read, the very first thing that I read is called a criminal complaint. The criminal complaint is what establishes the probable cause for the officers not only approaching the person but also arresting the person, right? So, um, on the fourth day in which this gentleman was finally arrested, guess what also came out that same day? Criminal complaint. Now, what I call, what to my, at least, and I'm just talking about the state of Wisconsin. I'm only licensed in the state of Wisconsin. I call, I call our criminal complaints police hearsay. Because yeah. it's literally what the, what the officer said happened, blah, blah, blah. It hasn't actually been verified by any anything. There's no there's no video to go with it. There's no audio yet to go with it. Nothing. This story. is just a probable cause of what happened. What I read in the criminal complaint, and this is uh, released publicly yes. on the fourth day. The, the public did not know why George Floyd was arrested. I no, and no, and the one the criminal complaint I'm talking about mm-hmm. is for the officer. Right. Gotcha. The one he received. Yes. Yes. So it comes out, and here's the thing. I have clients. I have one client who, this dude, it was the first time he had ever done anything, right? And and they found, I believe it was like a one of marijuana, like a literal one and they scraped it just to like get him in trouble, uh, right? Damn, that's but if you, But if you read that criminal complaint, bro was El Chapo. <laughs> we, uh, we followed him around the corner when he stopped, 30 feet from the stop sign. Then, when he sped up, he saw us. We know he saw us because we saw two eyes in the river. Da, 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 da. Like, this is this is how they set you up. Because guess what? The district attorney takes what they're saying, puts it into a criminal complaint, and forms the basis of prosecution. So we have to make you look bad. We have to make you look the worst ever. Okay. What I read, when I read the criminal complaint for the officer to kill George Floyd, 
was the biggest softball that I've ever seen in my life. Period. They literally were given reasons within a criminal complaint for him as justification of why, what he did. How's that work? Well, you know he resisted. Well, you know there's some underlying medical conditions. Why do I care about that? You know what I care about? I care about the fact. Was the individual pulled over or whatever for justifiable reason? Okay. Um, once you did that, was everything you did up code? Why are you putting your knee in his neck? Is that necessary? I can tell you this. What I was really upset about is the fact that this man had his knee in the, in the back of this man's neck, right? And he had his hands in his pockets. Either you have a spectacular balance, or that's the position you've been in a lot of times. We just thought it going to take this time. Let that marinate. His hands were in his pockets. Like, he chipped. Yeah. You mean to tell me that he's this is such a routine a thing that he's done? Yeah. When you put your hands in your pocket, Bro, that like means a, you're you're almost casual. Yeah. yeah. What threat? What threat is this person below you posing? If your hands in your pockets, you can defend yourself with your hands in your pockets. This is also the the third shooting involved incident of this very officer. He has nineteen wow. infractions, all of which came back no discipline. That's the reality. Is like somebody when they say, "Oh, well, why don't you complain about the officer? Why don't you do this that, and the other?" Nineteen on one person, three years. It's crazy. So then, who do you tell? Who do you run to? Who polices the police, man? And so we yeah. have to look at those type of things. And yes, I've also I've let people know. I, I get that there is a, a national, uh, as I've been told, shortage of police officers. When we look to like the happen with uh, Amber Geiger and in, in, uh, in Texas, where she killed both of them, Jean. First thing she's talking about, I was so tired. That's why I walked into the, that's why I drove into the wrong side. That's why I walked up to the wrong door. And I was like, damn, this mad is interesting. Hmm, I must have bought it some other time. Opens the door. Hmm, that's weird. This house. And then you see somebody, and you let them go. Damn. Right? Overworked, underpaid, many hours. Get it, bro. It's also not my problem. <clears throat> right? Like, that's, that's for you and your department and the mayor and everybody else to yeah. come together and figure out how we can relieve those things. Um, we have people all the time I like to talk about. I mean, let's go to the stats, man. Let's go to, I love stats. I mean, when you're talking about, um, oh, well, you know, Barack Obama and every, all these other Democrats and these liberals and everybody else, they have this war on police. Suicide is higher in police officers than officer involved shootings. Really? Wow. Yes. Mm. Domestic abuse issues are higher among police officers than other professions. Hmm. There's issues that are already there that we are having to deal with because if I'm on my third double shift for the week yeah. and you challenge me, 
yo, who are you talking to? Yeah. You're irritable. Who are you talking to? Yeah. And we see all the time. I mean, just a last little story for me. It was 2008. Especially because I just graduated from Morehouse College. Came back to Minnesota. Um, had Got a group of people together to go downtown. Right? Um, we went to a spot that at the time was called Axis Nightclub. <laughs> Axis, you know what I'm saying? That was my junk. That's a throwback. <laughs> Man, yo, we are in there just uh, rest uh, in peace, rest in peace. Money. Uh, uh, you know, getting money. Uh, 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 like we was getting it. You know what I'm saying? We were celebrating your boy. Now I just graduated from college. We step outside. Now this also just happened to be the same weekend of Juneteenth. Now back in the day, like I, it makes me sad a lot looking at what Juneteenth has turned into. They don't know what Juneteenth is, by the way. I guarantee it. Do you know what no, Juneteenth no. is? No. Okay. So um the essence or the background behind Juneteenth is it was it's meant to celebrate the the actual first freeing of the slaves. Um, so every year, different locations they hold uh, um, festivals where you can get resources, be resource fairs, music, food, you know, just celebration, unity. You know, it's okay to be African American because. Unfortunately, it's not okay to be black everywhere. But you can be black here. You can be authentically you here. And I used to love it because the community always used to come together so heavy, right? So it started off during the day on a Saturday, and then towards the night, everybody would head downtown. So that's when downtown Minneapolis was buzzing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, not saying it's not now. I just haven't been there in a while. But... Back then, like that was our that was our thing. So I step outside and I'm with my group of friends and and it's like it has to be at least like 14 of us. You know what I'm saying? Just in different cars and everything like that. It's a celebration. Yeah. yeah. And we're we're moving, but it's packed on both sides of the street. And in the middle, it's like four police cars, two police vans, like the the, the transport dogs. Mm-hmm. And those big Clydesdales, or Clyde, how, do you, how do you pronounce it? Yeah, you, yeah, Clydesdales. Yeah, big horses. You got yeah. it. I never knew that the horses were that big until that day. Yeah, dude, they're huge. Like, I never knew. Like, I just thought horses, was, I mean, I went to, come on now, I went to Homo Zoo, you know what I'm saying? Joyce for a little bit. Like, we wasn't really back Hey, stay out of my neighborhood, though. Yeah. <laughs> up there. So, police officers come out, and, um, there were some issues mm-hmm. that had taken place like directly mm-hmm. prior to us coming out of the club. We had nothing to do with it. They knew that. Mm-hmm. But something had taken place. So we're walking and I have a police officer on a bike who says, you know what I'm saying, you need to keep moving. Now, I'll be honest with you. I had a little city sip. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a celebration. You know what I'm saying? I, I yeah. wasn't driving. You were 21. You got to apologize. So, you, you know, and I tell him, I'm like, I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was kind of flipped with him. You know, it wasn't, yes, sir, on the way, sir. It was like, yeah, yeah, we got it. But we kept moving the same pace. Because keep in mind, we're still trying to get all of our people to grow right, up. Right. So we can all walk together, get our cars together, get to where we need to be. Mm-hmm. He says to me again, I told you to fucking move. Yeah. Anybody who knows me knows I make that face automatically. <laughs> like, What? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, who do you think you're talking to type situation? Yeah. He puts a can of mace in my face. Oh, dang. Right? Now, everybody's watching this. Like, this is just in the middle of the street. I'm like, 
Okay. Now I was kind of, I was being kind of a smart ass. I'm not going to lie to you. And I was like, listen, I've been an intern with Congressman Keith Ellison. I pay my taxes. And at the distance you have that way from my face, you would blind me. Get the can out of my face. It's unnecessary. He says, you don't tell me what the fuck to do. I tell you what to do. I said, all right, dude. I let it go. You know what I'm saying? Because people behind me is like, come on, man. Just, it ain't even worth that serious situation. It's not that serious. I'm like, right, cool. So we start to walk again. All of a sudden, I see the police officer, you know, he's on his bike again, goes into the middle of the street and heads back the other direction. I'm like, cool, situation over. I'm walking. All of a sudden, an arm comes over my neck. I had no idea who it was, so I do what anybody would do. I duck, I turn, I push. Like, yo, what you doing? It turned out to be that police officer. Wow. Who then yelled, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which is translated to, this dude's out of control. Yeah. First thing I do is the, is is what I was always told. Uh, yo, what's, what's the deal? Like, what's what's the problem? You, you ran up behind me. But my hands are literally like this the whole time. You ran up behind me. Another officer runs from off the street. Heisman. What are you doing? Why are you why are you arresting? Why are you trying to arrest me? Second officer comes up, he tries to wrestle with me. The one who has got pissed off because he got Heisman, like and he flew past me, <laughs> now comes back, slams me dead in the back. I hit the ground. Oh my gosh. They drag me by my neck and one of my arms into the street. I was everything. I was a nigga, I was a bitch, I was a pussy. Literally, I was all of these things. For what reason? My brother, Mark, he comes out. Same exact thing. He says, sir, what did my brother do? Please let me know what my brother did. Their response to him was to empty two cans of mace, the extendo clips, into his face. And then when the, both of them were emptied, they then took that big-ass Clydesdale and they hit him with the ass to throw him away. Oh, my God. And then they let him go. If he was that big of a threat, if he was doing that much to you, to where you would clear not one, but two cans. He couldn't even, his shirt, he had to throw his shirt away. Damn. They couldn't ride in the, in the car home. Yeah. Because it was so drenched that everybody in the car, their eyes started watering. He was technically blind for two days. He couldn't see. He couldn't do anything. They were afraid that there was actually a medical issue that took place. Yeah. Dang. All because I didn't listen. And I had that same fear he had. Matter of fact, my boy was like, who you want me to call? I gave him every name but my mom's. Wow. He still called my mom. I forgive you, DA. Yeah. But and my mom did what she does. She was at, she was at the spot downtown that put me in the drum tank. That was a justification. Yeah. Oh, oh, he was he was drunk. Right. And you know why I was drunk? I was drunk because I challenged his authority. He told me what to do, and I said, "No, you're not going to do that to me. I know my rights. You can't do that." Right. And that challenge turned to that situation. Yeah. And, and to reducing all of it. And to all, it sounds like you know his mama didn't believe him. That's not the case, right? That's not the case at all. We were taught to get out the way. Yeah. We were taught that if you get in trouble with police, 
that's what you get because you shouldn't have been in that position. Period. Right. So it, it's Come back up exactly. And 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 on top of that, is his mama saying like, even if he didn't do nothing, baby, I don't want to lose you. Okay. So make sure you don't do that again. You're gonna learn your lesson. That's gonna be the last time you go out that late. That's the last time you do this. We have to barricade ourselves so much just to hopefully avoid the police. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of it to this day. Yeah, y- y'all y'all can leave Cowboy Jacks at two thirty, be on the street talking. Woo woo woo. Oh yeah, man. Ooh, try to power. try to stay outside of Black Club at the let out, man. That's one thing I don't do. If I'm if I'm not outside the black club at one fifteen, it's because I know the owners of the club and I know they they're gonna let me stay up in there till two fifteen, two thirty when everything clears out. You don't go outside at the let out because a people be wilding, which that's not cops fault at all. That's us too. People be wilding, and then b that's when the cops is they they ready for some stuff to happen. They ready all think home. they all they all Brian Urlacher trying to tackle somebody because they hope somebody jump off. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing you have to realize is when I'm talking about policy and procedure and actually looking at what is going on inside the office, like, so unfortunately for, for my mom and them, but fortunately for me, I lived a pretty fantastic downtown life that involved me knowing security, knowing owners, even befriending some of the police officers. That's how I got in front of the line of Pizza Luce. Yes. You know <laughs> like at the end of the night. Oh, I'm gonna need that plug, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I'm need that plug. Down, you know what I'm saying? Like that was cuz. Cause it was like, all right, cool. You know who it is. Woo-woo. Um, and one of the things that they told me was that they send newbies downtown Minneapolis on the weekends to prepare them. I feel like that's the worst so, place to send them. <laughs> but, but listen so, to that. Listen, say that one more time. Why are you going to send people who may just be fresh out, may not know? Because it's hard for me to, to, to really say that procedure in and of itself is everything that you need to do because you're also human, right? So there's ways you need to interact. There's, there's a body language that you need to know. There is um, terminology to that specific to that area or that group or whoever that you need to know in order for you to properly resolve whatever situation that is. If you have none of that input information, what do you think the output's going to be? Right. Like you could talk to, cause I've seen it. I've seen a police officer try to come down and check the wrong person who just may have been allegedly, um, you know, the leader of, of some type of clique or, you know, the leader of, of a group of people who as a group, like that's not the dude you should have got smart with because his whole crew about to wild on you now. Yeah. And it happened. And you know what happened? Those older police officers who were down there, who knew better, watched it and told him, bring your ass. Right. They didn't fight none of them. You know why? Because they had the correct input information. Mm-hmm. They knew what was going on, but they're going to let you, you know what I'm saying? It's like training day. I'm going to let you go out there, you know what I'm saying? Sniff it. Yep. That, yeah. yep. I'm, not saying, I'm not saying Minneapolis Police Department is authorizing anybody to sniff cocaine. That was just a reference to the movie. Yeah, that's Denzel Washington. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a reference to the movie. Oh, not they're doing downtown. Not, not at all. We're going to get a different type of smoke. Man. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, he, he had him experience things. During that movie, because he's saying, unless you have this information, you won't survive out here. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And what's like, and you guys have been taught information and you've been taught these rules that if you act a certain way, that you'll be able to avoid it. And you guys gave 
three situations. You're supposed to avoid so, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you gave three situations where you're just mm-hmm. operating as a, as a normal person in a day. And what, in, even in the highest of moments when you're graduating from college and when you're with your best friends, it can still happen. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and you're right. When we started this podcast, we don't know. And that's the frustration, bro. Yeah. Like when you see people knocking shit down and setting stuff on fire, rioting, that's a frustration. You know, right. it's just, um, we already know. That's the we, end result. We all, I want to let people know that. That's the end result. You know what I mean? Like, nobody, yeah, because at the end of the day, when I was telling you about what happened on Plymouth Avenue in North Minneapolis in 1967, that was end result. That was an end result mm-hmm. of them, you know what I'm saying, placing policies on the, on, on the African-American community specifically, which impacted their ability to live their life. It impacted their ability to, to buy a home. Mm-hmm. It impacted their ability to be employed. You know what I'm saying? Simply because of the race that you were. Mm-hmm. So the end result is like, yo, well, if I can't do nothing anyway, you about to hear me. Yeah. Right. And, and that's what happens. Can we is talk it? a little bit more on these riots and yeah. specifically the ones happening right now? Um, you shared something. As an end result. As sure. an end result. I will definitely yeah. talk about the riots. But what we, won't, what we won't do here is talk about the riots like they are a singular issue. Okay. Because that's what I've been seeing a lot of. And it's a lot of misunderstanding. It's mm-hmm. not a singular issue. Right. And let's even take the riots. Even we can divide that into two, three. Because the first night, yeah, I know a lot of my my people's out there. They was out there wilding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Night two, a little half and half. Few y'all was out there. Now you guys, particularly. And I'm I'm on CNN last night. Curry, first of all, curfew, national guard. We all was home, right? We heard that. We wasn't out there. And I'm looking on TV. I'm like, dang, it's a lot of white people in South Minneapolis breaking stuff. It's a lot of people that aren't from the neighborhood breaking stuff. So I want to preface with that. But go ahead. Continue with your question. Yes. And that's exactly what I want to get into. And you shared something on social media like saying something along the lines of, um, I understand your anger, but I don't understand the riots. And that was like a quote someone said. And your comment. Yeah. And your comment. Yeah. Oh, air quotes. Um, and your comment was that then you don't understand the anger. Um, this was this was early in the process, right? This was the first day when people... Um, I think it was before the fires, but you know, it was just dangerous, dangerous over South, dangerous on uh, Lake Street, dangerous over, what about 26 on Hiawatha, where I begin to New York over here, what's that area called, what y'all call it, what, what y'all call it, 20, Hiawatha, 55, East Lake. you get off, East Lake, but it's, it's not Lake, but where that cup foods is, Target, whatever, that area, mm-hmm. Midway, St. Paul, Sunray, St. Paul, um, um, Midway, do we already say Midway? Yeah, Midway and Sunray, St. Paul, mm-hmm. um, It's just one of them things where it's like enough is enough. People are tired, man. And am I am I am I am I a destructor? Am I am I that? No, I'm not. I react in a little different way, but I'm not gonna be mad at my people if that's what they do. Because at the end of the day, like he said, and like a lot of people are saying, we tried marching, we tried taking a knee, we tried telling y'all, resulting in gaslighting. Dude. And now we just watched one of our brothers get killed for no reason. There's not even disputable. I know redneck racists were like, damn, that's crazy. I know people are super pro-cop like, yeah, let's light that dude up. This was the first time I saw some police officers that I know on my timeline right. say, you know what? Yeah, This is not what we do. Not even backing them up. Mm-hmm. My best friend, one of my good friends I grew up with owns the restaurant across the street. He released that footage to the New York Post. Because, again, like he was talking about before, he didn't want to get that to the authorities. Because if that goes to the authorities, we never seen him not resist. We're never seeing that video. Laquan McDonald, 
We are making sure. Rashad West, shout out to Rashad West, by the way, owner of Dragon Walk on 38th of Chicago. Guys, go support him. That's good brothers doing some good things. He made sure that he got on the phones with the New York, the, the Washington Post, the New York Times, all these publications so they could see it and get the video out there. And then he gets on TV. He's like, yeah, it's crazy. I didn't really see him. I didn't really see him resisting. So I went to the videos and he definitely wasn't. And this was before it got out. And then we saw the video like, what's the excuse now? Yeah. This is a reaction, man. It's not my reaction. What was my reaction? My reaction was getting on Instagram going crazy, on Twitter going crazy, on on, on Facebook going crazy. My reaction was changing the way I spoke, changing the way I moved, changing my mentality. My reaction was not sleeping for three days. My reaction was anger. The first person to walk up to me was probably going to get cussed out. My reaction was the first time I even saw like a, an inch of injustice that I would have let slide before because I, I ain't got the time. I got the time today. That was my reaction, that kind of anger. Okay? Mm-hmm. So picture somebody else that's a little more, uh, a little less apprehensive than I am. They gon', they gon', they gon', they gon', they gon' start busting out there. Right. And that's what happened. And that's why it's crazy to me. People were so quick to get away from the murders. I'm talking about the riots, man. Like the the riots happened because of the murder. Let's fix that. Yes, I'm sad that our neighborhoods are destroyed. I'm sad stuff is getting burned. I'm sad people are getting hurt. I'm sad we shooting at cops right now. Cops on the people. It's 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 gruesome images. But those gruesome injuries are an end result. Because I guarantee if we do not fix this issue, it will be 10 times worse next time. Mm-hmm. Guarantee it. Because violence is the, is the language of the unheard. Period. So if we continue to unheard, we are going to create a ruckus until we are heard. Mm-hmm. So that's my emotion when I see people. Well, I don't know. I don't know rights. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, shit, me. What's, what's, what's tearing it down? What's the logic behind it? There's no plan. There's no formation. Man, man what the, how you going to have a plan when you just got slapped? You just, we just got slapped. How am I supposed to? Well, well let, me, let me go back to drawing board and, and write my blueprint and strategically talk about how we're going to retaliate to this brother standing two inches away from me to just slap me. Now I'm going to slap you the fuck back. And that's the, and that's the, the thing that, that I also which was really right, and thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, because yeah, thank you, the I thing that, that I'm seeing is um, we talk about riots as if he says a singular event. Like, it's not something that's boiling up. Like, we're, we're talking about George Floyd, right? But um, not even three weeks ago, I just read, ran 2.23 miles. For a guy named Ahmed Aubrey. Mm-hmm. Um, a week after that, I'm mourning the loss of a sister who um, the police, even with somebody already in custody, kicked in this woman's door. Who um, who responded? And the boyfriend is a no knock raid. Her boyfriend's in the bedroom with her. He hears his door get kicked in. He sees some. He sees some lights. He sees some guns. So what does he do? He starts busting toward the front door. Turned out it was police officers, and not intruders as he immediately thought. Because what else do you think when somebody's kicking your door in, and you haven't done anything like to warrant said said activity? So he shoots back. Police shoot back at him. Kill that woman. And then they charged him with attempted murder of the police officers. Made him sit in jail for almost three weeks. 
Dang. That was just a week after Ahmed Aubrey. We're, we're still reeling off the fact that we have children in the city of Detroit that one a young lady was sleeping on her grandmother's couch. They put a bullet through the wall, through her head. Nobody held accountable. We're talking about children. That there was an instance, I believe it was in Ohio, I believe, I'll have to look this up. Um, police kicked in the door and threw a flashbang into the front room. That flashbang just so happened to land inside of one of the little little uh, baby like little things. Oh, yeah, yeah. A flashbang went off and a baby was in there. Mm. Oh, okay. Nobody was held accountable. Um, we're talking about somebody like Sean Bell. Rest in peace to Sean Bell. His daughter um, just graduated with the class of 2020. Sean Bell was killed by the New York Police Department. As he was going to his wedding. In a limo. Nobody was held accountable. Um, when we're talking about. Uh, we're still reeling over Tamir Rice. 13 year old child. I don't care how, how you think. He may look. As an adult or not. He's a 13 year old child. You were told. Oh well, you're over here. Playing with a, 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 a fake gun. So it's your fault. It's a child. 13 seconds, if that, from the moment they exited their vehicle to the moment that child died. No one was held accountable. Um, you know, let's talk about Jamal Crawford. Let's talk about an individual who was in, uh, in Ohio, an open carry state, in a Walmart. Took one of the little BB guns out of the box. Now, a report came in. Uh, allegedly that he was pointing it at people and doing all of these things. None of that was true. This white woman lied on him and got that man murdered as soon as the police walked in there. Nobody was held accountable. This isn't new. This isn't singular. This, these are, and I'm all, I can keep going with these names because my mom calls me whenever it happens. Because she don't want the next hashtag to be justice for Aaron. And that's the reality she has to live with. And that's just, and we're just talking about some similar cases. But, I mean, even when you're looking at the Trayvon Martin cases, man. Oh, well, he, you know, he was the aggressor. I don't care that he was the aggressor, to be frank with you. Because I was being followed. It's, it's at night. I don't know who you are. You approach me with a weapon. Mm-hmm. My first thing is self-preservation is the number one law. Period. So yeah, you come out with a pistol. I'm gonna try to do what I can to fight for my life because, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only reason you're here. That's what happened to Ahmad Aubrey. Oh, well, he attacked the person with the shotgun. Yes, because you stopped me and you hopped out with a shotgun, bro, for no reason. Yeah. You think I'm gonna wait for you to let one off? No. That's the everyday that people are seeing. They say, oh, well, that's just the media. They're trying to break up America. They're trying to da 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 And, like, there is some truth to that. There is. 100%. You know what I'm saying? I mean, There's we, truth to that. We live through it right now with the riots, right? They'll, they'll tell you yeah. that Black Lives Matter is just tearing the parts off Minneapolis, which is not true at all. And then they don't report 
on the things that we're seeing that I can tell you when I was a community organizer, I was with Jamar Clark. There was some individuals that infiltrated the, um, the, 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 the peaceful protest that we were having. It was me and a few other individuals and there was a white guy showed up. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was not abnormal. There was other, you know, Caucasian people that were there as well. Uh, however, this individual was by himself and walked up on our group. We didn't say anything. Like, we're not going to push you off. It's like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, then he starts talking about, you know what I'm saying, I'm, I'm about to set it off. He talked about shooting police. And my first question is, bro, who are you? Who you with? That don't matter. Yes, it does matter. Who you with? What are you talking about? He showed us a Molotov cocktail, bro. And when that happened, that's when the whole group is like, yo, you got to move around. And we chased him a block away, right? He gets into a vehicle that had two people that were already sitting in the front of it. It was an unmarked police vehicle. I saw it with my own two eyes. The individual that allegedly, I mean, his identification requires more investigation in my my opinion. But the individual that allegedly started the ozone uh, uh, calamity. Went through there with the hammer, busting stuff up, busting stuff up. He was walking by himself. All black. Let's talk about the police. Umbrella. Let's talk about the police department. If you see a lot of my people was down there, they said that, yeah, I mean, who was outside the police department? Yeah, people was throwing rocks. But it wasn't until a white person jumped on the fence, brought it down. Because we don't play with the cops. Like I said, we're not going to be the first ones to do anything like that. It wasn't until somebody grabbed the fence, took it down, ran up in the door whatever war chant they had, that's when everybody started to follow. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So that's, okay. I mean, that's the little piece. And obviously I wish this was like, I mean, y'all getting big. I wish it was national, natural. Cause this is shit. Nobody's hearing. Mm-hmm. This is just nobody seeing. It's like, especially when, <laughs> no, dude, right. when, yeah. no, when we watch CNN, it's like, I don't know nobody out there. Night one. I'm oh, that's my boy. Huey. What's up boy? Okay. I see you. Oh, don't see this. That's, that's, that's TJ. Okay. Mm-hmm. Night three. It's like, who are these people? Nobody's from South Minneapolis. Nobody is from Midway St. Paul. Nobody is from the east side. These are people that, again, don't ask conspiracy other than me, but these are people from out of town that are just anarchists. These are people sent from whatever to quickly destroy this neighborhood because, hey, gentrification is a thing, and there's a lot of property that's going to drop in value, and who's going to buy that stuff, right? We always try to do that to University. We always try to do that to South Minneapolis. Y'all live here. This is uptown. Yeah, we, we, we couldn't play around here when 15 years ago when I was a kid, okay? Lake Street, cool place for y'all, right? Intercultural, right? We didn't, we didn't mess around on Lake Street. You didn't go kicking on Lake Street. Mm-hmm. Northside, there's white people in the Northside. It was not white people when I was in the Northside when I was growing up. It's white people living there. Northeast Minneapolis, it's Kyle's up everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're talking about um, St. Louis Park. That was just a regular neighborhood. Now it's like people making $300,000 a year, first starter homes living out there. You know? So... There's just a lot of things in my head. I'm just like, yo, this just don't add up. Yes, we are not ridiculously organized at the moment, but we also wouldn't run up in our own shops. We also wouldn't run up in our own neighborhoods. We also wouldn't go for three nights. We also, I mean, as gangster as it is, I don't think we got it in us to burn down a police station. Can I just give one quick story about preparation? So um, there have been people who have been looking, right? One of the stories that I received directly was we entered the store 
and went into the back where the where the safe was. So by the time we got to the back, there was there were some white guys there. There's three white guys with drills. Who the fuck is bringing drills to a riot? That's preparation, man. Mm-hmm. That's predetermined for sure. Yeah, yeah, like you knew what was going down. They were ready for it. You knew yeah. what it was. And like, and I hate to keep saying white, 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 white. That's just the report that I'm receiving is that some of these um folks who are provoking the larger action have been people who are not from the community right. and who are coming in and it and and, and burn up police stations. Yeah. And tan up the cub foods and you know what i'm saying yes there are people you know what i'm saying of all demographics and backgrounds who shit, if the club is already open i need some milk <laughs> which some, which, which is another socioeconomic problem that we won't talk about today but again yes people are stealing because people are in need but yeah, it's like, yeah i don't have this at the house so i'll have it now you know what i'm saying oh well, what is this brand new 70 inch television going to do for you nothing but if you sell it so it's a it's important to know all of the sides that that are here and all of the things that are happening um in real time mm-hmm. because at that point you can kind of pay attention to what the government's strategy is like that for example there's people who are planted in my opinion and then there's people who are just who are just able right mm-hmm. like I was told that there was instances of, of people running into footlocker over north and the police were standing there. They didn't stop nobody. Like, at all. All they did was try to drive their car up real fast. And once they did that, after a significant amount of stuff had been taken, then people just dispersed. And then they just went and boarded it back up. Yeah, what the hell? There was not even an attempt at a, and, and, get away from the building. Get away from the building. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the reality. Man. And so, I think a great point that you continue to make is all of that are not from the community. It goes back to that perspective aspect. Like uh, uh, an officer that's not from the community is not going to feel comfortable here. And uh, someone you bring in someone that's not you bring in the crowd that's anarchist, if you will, not from the community. Now they are going to do whatever they they don't, they don't see what's actually happening. That's just a building to them. Yeah. They don't feel the community. Opportunists yeah. is what they are. Yeah, and what makes it even, even to your point, which I thank you for making that, um, is that if we were in their neighborhood, even oh if it was God. a bowling alley, you going to let them run in your bowling alley? I think you would. Because you have a personal relationship with that. That's not my Foot Locker. I don't shop at Foot Locker. They can have it. But if this DSW goes up in flames, <laughs> now we got some problems. Have for bed. Yeah, so when they start tearing up that DSW. This is an outrage. Yeah, all of a sudden it's like, hold on, guys. Not the Birkenstocks. Anything but the Birkenstocks. Yeah, strap up. It's time. Uh-huh. Like, we're going to stand here for this because that's that's part of your experience. You know what yeah, I'm saying? That's, yeah. that's, that's part of who you are. Yeah. And so you're you're not going to just willingly let somebody come into, into your space and take from your community, mm-hmm. you're gonna safeguard that. Yeah. And the showing of you just watching somebody do something, you run, letting them run up in there and take whatever it is, and be like, "All right, then." That tells me you don't live here. Yeah. Right. It tells me exactly that. Yeah. I cried when I drove by Midway. 
because I'm not from that part of St. Paul, but my church was there. So I grew up there, you know. Mm-hmm. We got to church early. We go across the street, maybe hit McDonald's, Dollar Menu, go to New York, a, a Flocker, check out what they had there. Actually, no, those, it was a DMV at the time. But, um, you know, little corner stores, whatever, go up, buy some snacks, go back to church. So I got a lot of memories there. And it was a sad day for me when they started building light rail um, back my freshman year in college because university was just plugged up. You couldn't even drive there. Mm-hmm. Um, Earth, where we get our, you know, do-rag hair supply, weave, all that sure. stuff. Hard to get up in there. Okay. Now the light rail's there. Cool. University back. Now we got a train station. It's awesome. University never looked the same, man. All the black businesses couldn't make it through them three, four years. You couldn't drive through. A few Asian businesses made it. Now we're starting to see nicer buildings, which is good. But on top of these nicer buildings for businesses, there's there's condos up there that folks that look like y'all are living in. Which, again, I'm not against that. And now we're starting to see Starbucks, Whole Foods. This ain't the same University Avenue I grew up going to. This ain't the same um, frog town is what we call it. But, I mean, it's 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 Rondo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a little sad for me back in 2014 when I was just graduating college. So we fast forward now; they built the stadium there. Yeah, Allianz Field. Mm-hmm. Like, damn, it's about to be none of the artist lofts and in mm-hmm. coffee shops here pretty soon. And now the little bit we had left, you know, Midway Bowl, Foot Locker, a few of them Asian restaurants, Walmart, like just the stuff that was there, is burnt down. And I just looked at it. I'm like, dude, 10 years ago, I was literally standing right there. 10 years ago, this wasn't a condo plex, an apartment building. 10 years ago, this was, you know, this is where you see see a few, you know, drunkies at, at Big Top Liquors chilling. You see, you know, people playing in the street. I don't recognize this place between the fires and the gentrification. And I had a moment where, like, I, I can only imagine what y'all feel like seeing Northside and Southside burn down on TV. I lost it, man. Like, I truly lost it. I'm like, this shit's gone. And I know what's happening next. Because if they do put a lot of money in the building back, they're not going to let us live there. No, they damn sure ain't going to let us live there. They're everybody who's already part of the community. Raise right? them property taxes. Works. Mm-hmm. You can't afford the rent. Mm-hmm. And you don't own. So what they do is in order to justify asking you to pay $1,200 a month, they add features which they believe would be attractive to you. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always show any type of support for who's already there. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all um, about the people that they want to come in. Yeah, I mean, a prime example for me, not even in Minneapolis, but actually, um, there's a historically black college and university in Washington, D.C. by the name of Howard. Howard University. Thank you. Um, okay. Thank you. I got people from there. <laughs> I got you. And uh, uh, it was like last year, it became a big deal because... HU always liked to at least be part of, remain part of the community. It had always been, you know, a, and, I, and you see this with a lot of HBCUs. Most HBCUs are in impoverished and or marginalized communities. All of them. Period. Right? So, Howard is, they allow people to come on their campus. You know what I'm saying? Let them walk across, you know, the, the, the grass, walk your dog, oh, whatever. Yeah. I remember this. This is all over and, Twitter. This dude came in and was letting his dog shit on the grass. 
Think about the upper quad of St. Thomas. Yeah. That's like Howard had, what do they, they call it? Quad or the yard. Yeah, the they call yard. it the yard of Howard. That's just like where the students come out, dorm, 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 classroom, stage, whatever. Yeah. We just, when we congregate between classes, us, right? This is our campus. Even though there's no gates, like this is our area. So yeah. continue. Yeah. So the students are like, excuse me, clean that up type situation. And he got smart with them and told them, you, you can't tell me what to do. They were like, all right, then get off the property. He said, this is our community. This is not your property. And, and one of the girls said, you just got here. We've been here. Mm. And that became a big thing. Because Huge. they're saying like, Enormous. just because you're gentrifying an area, folks take ownership in an area that wasn't really theirs, even though the reason you even moved there is because of the reputation it would give you. Facts. Mm. It gives you a represent, represent like uh, a reputation, sorry, of being diverse. It gives you the reputation of being cultured. It gives you the reputation of being able to reside in an area that all of your folk who, who way out here, who only are watching BET, who only are watching what the evening news has to say about allegedly who was committing crimes, that are only watching movies on AMC and other spots with just watching Training Day or any other movie from the 90s, Boys in the Hood, you know what I'm saying, Menace to Society, anything of that nature. And they're saying, you are something special. I could never. And it happens. My mother now stays uh, closer to downtown um, Emerson and um, they actually had a project where they were trying to get more people to buy into this this neighborhood. It's right across the street from Lucy Lane. Right? And literally from my bedroom, I could literally see like the whole downtown skyline. Like I could walk downtown in not even 10 minutes. It's been a it's been a key area that they've been trying to take over for years. Which is why they tried to have this ownership initiative in that specific area so that developers just can come in and, you know, buy it all up. Now, my mother's neighbors from I believe Brainerd. From sort of way out. Yeah, way up north. Yeah. And the very first little homeowners association meeting that they had, the first thing that they said was um, I don't understand why there why why you moved us over here with so much poverty. You didn't research North Minneapolis before you showed up, <laughs> and then they try to start instituting things within the homeowners association to make them comfortable in our neighborhoods. Yeah, and I'm like, bro, but, but once again, it makes you look diverse, it makes you look cool. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it shows that you're more worldly than some other people. You know, but at the same time, if you actually live in that area, you mm-hmm. can see in a lot of respects, it's become something that's no different than where you came from. So what are you doing? Yeah. In the city suburb. And mind you, I, I, I have family in the DMV, right? So I remember driving by Howard as a kid. Because every kid, is, every black kid in America wants to go to college, dreams of going to an HBCU at some point. It's whether you actually go or not. So I visited Howard as a kid. That was a drive-by tour. You don't get out the car 15 years ago to go see Howard. A lot of crack, right? A lot of crime. There's some issues around there. And now here we are having the same issue at that school 15, 20 years later because somebody was walking their terrier 
on campus. You don't walk dogs at Howard 15 years ago. So again, that's that's our frustration because mm-hmm. now this we've been that nobody wanted before. People are coming in and trying to tell us how to be, trying to tell us what to do, mm-hmm. trying to tell us how it's gonna go. By 2040, and we go, and, and then we go, and then we go to the suburbs. I'm sorry, and then we go to the suburbs, and we not wanted there either. We go to the suburbs. I remember we moved to Oakdale. We moved to Oakdale from uh, uh, the first time we moved to Washington County. Washington County, black for like you, you in Washington County, you doing your thing, yeah, right? So we moved to Oakdale, and my mom tells me the story. Now I was a kid, so I didn't really know, but he's like, there was a police officer outside of our house every night for like the first few weeks we was there. The first, where you guys live? Oh, Eau Claire. Just taking a lap, seeing what's going on, making sure we ain't no drug dealers, whatever. Just to reiterate what she said so everyone can hear. Okay. She was in uh, Aaron and his girlfriend, is correct? Jessica, yeah. Jessica live in Eau Claire in similar situation. Yeah. Cop so, outside. So yeah. I didn't think much of it. I'm just like, you know, like he said, like there was always cops around. So I didn't think much of it. I'm like, it's just a cop. And my mom was like, yeah, see, let me tell you all about something. She told me later on that there was a cop outside. I'm like, yeah, I remember that, but I don't, I mean, what was going on? Like, I didn't think, because it was a white neighborhood, right? So, same thing when we happened to move to Woodbury. Same thing. Now I'm hip to it. I'm like, this dude, don't we not doing nothing, man? We were like, we, we were the first house. We built our house. We were the first house in that neighborhood. So there was nobody there. There's there no mistake. What could have been going on? Ain't no neighbors out there. It's just us, like in corn, right? Mm-hmm. So unless you're trying to prosecute the corn, you know what I mean? Yeah. Might have been some bad corn. Who knows, right? But <laughs> why is this cop just outside the house? Because we're in the yeah. suburbs. We're not one. We're not supposed to be there. Plot twist. A year later, there was a meth house next door to us, and they got busted. Oh, y'all was at the wrong house the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Don't you feel dumb? <laughs> and that's and and for anybody that's watching, I, I hope you are confused. Um, I hope you feel as if we're rambling. Uh, and and the reason I hope you feel that way is because I want you to understand what sometimes it can be like in my mind. What we're telling you right now is that this riot. This issue with George Floyd or whoever else, maybe the next hashtag or who, who was the previous hashtag, are all separate issues that combined into one thing. And that's what you're seeing right now. Yeah, that happened at Howard University in D.C., but that don't mean I don't understand how gentrification is taking place right here in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tamir Rice happened in, uh, in Florida, but... Aaron Abram, who, when me and my girlfriend lived in Madison, I had on a shirt that literally said, Black Men Run. It's the Healthy, the healthy Brotherhood. I had on these black shorts. I had on my, uh, my, my headphones, which were clearly visible, all white in front of me. I had on running shoes. I don't even like running shoes. I thought regular tennis shoes was running shoes. <laughs> Until this point. He's followed me the first three days. And they told me it was because some of the locals made a phone call about mm. suspicious activities. It's always some local made a phone call for some suspicious yeah. activity, ain't it? It's yeah. always that. It's so a it's crazy like, story. Exactly. I love that song. I hear it all the time. There it is. So it's like, yeah, that happened to Trayvon, but I can relate to it too. Right. I don't know who Oscar Grant is, who got shot in the back at the train station. It's not a little movie if y'all haven't seen it, but, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Which one? Yeah, Fruitville Station. I actually went to visit Fruitville Station. That's a sobering experience. 
I don't I don't know him. But I know who Jamar Clark is. And it happened right here in Minneapolis. Like all of these things that we're talking about are things that people say, well, that happened here and there and there and there. But if I can relate all of those things to something that's happening around me, how do I not feel as if I'm at war with somebody that I can't fight right now? Because I don't understand how what's the best tool to do it. Yes. Not to mention it's happening over and over and over yeah. and over. Yeah. Personal experience, not personal experience. Pockets. Yeah. Pockets. That's the only way you get to capitalism. The only way you get through the capitalist is through their pockets. People don't understand. Mm. The only time in this in the entire history of African Americans being here that we have ever collectively been able to successfully put pressure on the government was to get civil rights. Here's how. It's because it was the only time that as African Americans we gave America a dichotomy. Notice America loves to have one versus the other. It's red versus blue. It's good versus bad. It's killing versus the cops. Like it always has to be one or the other. But see, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X were part of the were two heads of the same coin. And they didn't understand that while Martin is sitting here talking to the president and they're saying, oh, well, Martin, you know, I know you want those pesky civil rights. Um, unfortunately, we're looking at pushing it back another year. Legislature still isn't pretty comfortable with that yet. Um, but we really do appreciate that whole nonviolence thing. And then you have Malcolm, who wasn't even necessarily uh, teaching violence. Like, if you actually listen to what he's saying, he said, I'm, I'm touching back. He said that I'm not going to let you kill my son and my daughter and my wife, and you expect me to shake your hand at the end of it. Like, he's not teaching violence. He's teaching how to move forward with self-defense. You know what he also did? He also ensured at the same time that Martin was meeting with the president that people from his following were laying their bodies down on tarmacs so planes could take off, on on train tracks so trains couldn't move. It hit their pockets because he stopped all modes of transportation. You couldn't ship anything. Made them uncomfortable, stop traffic. Stopping traffic. So then the question became, who you want to deal with? Right. Which side you want to deal with? Right. You want to deal with Martin or you want to deal with Malcolm? The same question is being posed today. Which side do you want to deal with? You want to deal with you want to deal with Cap Kaepernick, or you want to deal with these riders? Because Cap sound kind of good right now, don't he? he? Sound pretty good right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking the knee is it's so bad, you know? It's like exactly. So okay, I'm gonna listen to what you have to say because right. I know what the alternative can be. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's the dichotomy that's finally being presented. My friend asked me the other day, why is it that those that you truly believe that that um, the police treated the uh, folks in Michigan and other states where they were fully armed. Um, they went to the Capitol because they wanted to stop all the stay-at-home orders and reopen the economy. And, I mean, once again, it's the conspiracy theorist in me, but I said, if you want me to be frank, the white people will shoot back. That's that's really the difference. I said, and, and we know this because there was a whole standoff in Oregon where they killed officers and then those folks that let it were released from prison into a private jet by our very own vice president facts look that up yeah that's crazy 
they'll shoot back because they they understand that yo they gonna use this against us. But how many times have you seen all of these peaceful protests where they're shooting people with rubber bullets in their head? That somebody told me, bro, that they were literally standing on top of buildings, pointing, laughing, and then busting people in the head with the rubber bullets. That was Houston. Oh no, that was Atlanta. That was Atlanta. No, they right? did that here too. They did that here. They did that here. Yeah. That's part of the reason the third precinct's gone. Right. Yeah. So it's like when you are 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 looking at that, it's hard for me to understand how you don't get it. Like how how it can still be so foreign. This is a reality, and this is what people are going to. What side do you want to deal with? And and they don't. They would much rather deal with us in that way because when you're shooting people with these rubber bullets and you're knocking people over with tear gas and you're able to push people and ram people back and they just keep coming back and the worst that they're saying is hands up don't shoot hands up don't shoot and you keep on bringing these type of divisive and violent tactics to them and they never do anything back i don't have to worry about your uprising but I am worried about the people that identify with old boy Bundy who shot back at all of these folks. That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think what what's really cool about like this whole conversation um is the your guys' innate ability to just bring up this historical prefer like every single that's time. That's how people die, man. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that the funny thing is like a lot of y'all know that we code switch a lot in black community. Right. We're not going to be successful human beings if we don't code switch. What is code switching? That is when y'all see me in St. Thomas and I'm able to kick it with the white boys, drink beer, keg stands, whatever, just talk about you know stuff, have a good time. That's not the same aisle that was growing up. That's not the same aisle you see at church on Sunday with his, with his people. That's not the same aisle you'll see at Cream on Saturday night, 2012 with his homies, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a different person in every situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to bring up this conversation with you guys. Because of the fear of being gaslit, right? I don't want to make y'all uncomfortable and I just want to fit in and I just want to do what I'm supposed to do. Because we want to be successful in this world. We have to, we're almost taught to not stick out. We're almost taught to be a part of the group. So when a shooting happens and we are fucking traumatized, our parents are calling us, we're in bed staring at the ceiling for hours like, damn, it could have been me thinking about when I got arrested, X, Y, Z. You guys are like, wow, this is crazy. I have to go to the news, go to sleep, go to work next day. We are thinking about this at work all day. We are thinking about this at the water cooler. We are thinking about this for weeks. So on top of the lives you guys are living, where you're going out, going to school, getting your education, um, first house call, all that stuff, which is already a tough thing to do. Imagine having that pressure on your shoulders that you're not speaking about. To y'all, at least. Mm-hmm. We talking about it. We having this combo. Mm-hmm. And then you got to think about the double down. Because, like, in times where I'm like, okay, I talked to, I talked it out with my folk. You know what I'm talking about? I, I, I got a, a different perspective. I have friends. I have real true allies. Real true allies. White brothers, um, Hispanic brothers, all over the place who see some of this stuff, and they want to be there for me. And they text and they um, ask me how I feel about it. And on the surface, that's a fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
always that, by the way. It's always, yeah. hey, thanks, appreciate it. I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm be good. But it's like if I've spent the last 20 hours thinking about that, and these are the only four free hours that I have, do I want to spend that four hours educating you on something that I've already been dealing with for the last 20 hours? I just didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. It just didn't matter. So um, I'm not saying stop asking. I'm not saying that at all. Um, I'm just also letting people know that sometimes he said they texted me. I haven't responded yet. That's real. I do that. I need to be in a mental place and have the capacity in order to educate because I get tired of saying the same thing in different groups. And bringing the same passion to make it can be conveyed in a certain way. I can tell you like, well, you know, I'm this or that. But like the way we're talking to you now, the reason we came on this show is so we could say it one time. Because this is exhausting, exerting this much, this this much passion, this much this much energy, to the subject that I'm already thinking about all day. I already can't sleep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you got to think about just uh, you know even nationwide. I would say that the only thing that's really interesting, like the only thing that's collective about Black people is to people outside of Black community is Black people. Like everything else is individualized. Like when when you're hearing hip hop, right? You have I like Lil Wayne. Well, F Lil Wayne, I like Jeezy. Or I like this person. I like that. You individualize it when it comes to hairstyles, right? You'll have black women specifically who will who have been doing things with their hair that they've been called ghetto for. They've been called ugly for and all of this. And then Kim Kardashian does it one day and they say, Where did this brand new beautiful style come from? I love those boxer braids. <laughs> yeah, like nah, them cornrows, yeah, right? All of that is is once again individualized, 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 but only when it comes to violence of black people do they see everybody as the same, as the same type of threat. Because I can tell you that this was 2000, yes, 2016, 2017. I'm at the University of Wisconsin, Oshkosh, right? Um, I'm walking around campus. Like everybody knows that we have a significant number of our uh, students of color who are all from Milwaukee. It's one of their primary. <clears throat> diversity grounds is um milwaukee went up because a police officer had killed somebody out there they determined in that community that it was unjustified and they responded accordingly now they also had an individual who was a pretty big asshole by the name of sheriff clark who was an african-american but in no way shape or form acted like it. no way shape or form Uncle Ruckus. yeah all day and what was interesting to me is everybody knows Aaron Abram is from Minneapolis, North Minneapolis, like specifically. I always tell people that. Um, but the next day that I came back to work after after Milwaukee went up, right, they're burning stuff, you know what I'm saying, they're throwing rocks at police officers, things like that. There was this eerie quiet whenever I was walking around, even administrators. It's, it was eerie. I'm like, Okay. And they came out later that they were like, oh, we don't know how to talk to you about that situation. Well, what the hell you need to talk to me about it in the first place? I'm not from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Am I concerned about it? Of course. But you were afraid that I was going to spaz out on you and I have no real direct connection to Milwaukee outside the students that you provided to me. Right. That's yeah. the only time. Another reason. You ever, you ever heard this? What about Chicago? 
They don't care where you could be. What about black and black crime? Yeah, you can be in Idaho. Y'all killing each other more than the cops is killing y'all. Exactly. You could be in Idaho getting a fight. Police officer shoot you dead. And when they march in Idaho, the first thing they're going to ask you is, what about Chicago? What are they really saying when they ask you, what about Chicago? You're saying you don't care about your own life. Why do you care now? First and foremost, I tell people that's a lie. There are numerous organizations in the city of Chicago. One North Side being one of them that I have a very good friend that works for that's battling both the, the, the economic injustice that is taking place, which we have all seen and has been proven to be the primary reason for violence. Economic injustice. They're also working on shooting violence, things of that nature. My boy has been shot twice, has been in the hospital, had to get things sewed up. And he's just a person responding through this organization called One Northside to stop these. So when you stop the conversation by saying, but what about Chicago? You're shitting on what this man just got sewed up for <laughs> and saying that he don't care. He cares a lot. Right. Yeah, I think it. it comes back to just lack of awareness, lack of context, lack of understanding. That's just why going back to what Andrew said about your tweet, I'll always remember that. Like it's, but this, these two, three hours, I don't know how long we've been going for, but for what that's been for me, and I know that's what's going to be for a lot of people listening, mm-hmm. is context and understanding. Right. A lot of the questions that are so surface level that you're mm-hmm. seeing everywhere are actually eliminated. Right. They're actually eliminated for the most part. For the most part right? I hope so. I hope after this you, you understand that. Like, I, oh, yeah. Not even asking those right, questions. Right. Right. And and so like, you know, when when you're like white guys reach out to you saying, Hey, I hope you're doing well, it's almost like it, if I'm gonna do it if it if ever 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 happens again and I'm in the situation where I gotta, you know, reach out to my black friend because I know he's feeling a certain way. It's not, hey, how you feeling? Because I already know how he's feeling. It, honestly, it's whatever. If you reach out, I'm glad because I know you're thinking of me. Yeah. I'm, talk, I'm talking to my people right now, wherever the camera is. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for reaching. I do appreciate it. Yeah, Shows yeah. that you care. Well, because uh, But at the same time, just respect that I'm not going to answer. I'm just not. Okay. Yeah, sure. Just Cause, respect. Because you got to understand, like, for, from our side of, or I, I don't want to say our side, but just like how I feel yeah. is like, I don't necessarily know if I have a voice to, to say anything. And then when people are texting me saying, hey, you got to do this, hey, you got to do this. It's like, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And if I do say something, it might get someone might look at it the wrong way. And then now I look bad. Right. Right. And so and I kind of took it as a challenge. Like, well, no, I want to I want to try this and learn and right. figure out and listen and right. go through the motions. And so that's that is what just goes to my head is like. Silence is almost better because it's easier. Much easier. Yeah. I mean, and always just recognize that it starts with simple conversations. Like it starts yeah, with the small yeah, conversations. Yeah. You know, um, racism is learned activity. Mm-hmm. That's not, it's not natural. That's why you have children. I mean, one of the most beautiful articles that I read uh, last year, it showed a, a two kids, I believe they're in like kindergarten or something like that. And, it was young black boy, young white boy. And young white boy went to the young black boy's barber. And they got the same haircut. And then they went back to class and they asked their teacher, who is who? <laughs> a child said that. They said, we did this to trick her. She, we knew she would never be able to tell us apart. Because of, <laughs> because of our haircut. Wow. 
racism is a learned behavior. It's also a behavior that is based upon privilege, once again. And like it's and I say that because um That's a what is racism, by the way, too. You get a chance because yeah. oh well, well black people are racist too. Well, that was racist. You can't say that, Isle. Please take care of that for me. Yeah, because here's the thing. Racism is position plus pigment plus power. Can you say that one more time? Simple equation there. Yeah. Racism is Oh uh, dang! You, you said you said position, position there plus we go. pigment, plus pigment, plus, plus power, plus power. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means is that you can have any opinion that you want to, and be prejudiced about how you feel about individuals. But unless you have the power to make that a reality, how how are you using that race to, um, or your race to? hurt somebody else right like we say yes that's racist because in a system where me and you can have the same exact application for a house for a loan you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um at wells fargo wells fargo just got sued over this for like the third time like 12 years your interest rate is going to be 1.25 mine's going to be 3.37 except exact same same credit same both for y'all work at ecolab you know what I'm saying? Both of you guys got two kids. Like, that's that's right. the reality. Same makeup. Yeah. And, you know, part of the reason they were doing it, it was saying things along the lines of, well, you know, like, what's about credit? We're like, nah, we put the exact credit on here. Um, There's been investigative reports that people have been doing where they're saying, oh, well, uh, applications for school. One of the best examples I've ever had is as a lawyer, right? So you take the bar exam, right? And then when you take the bar exam, what most states like to do is they like to take your essays and... Um, that I get to go through multiple hands, right? Because one person's style shouldn't dictate whether you pass the bar exam or not with a, with an adequate score. So um, what they did is it's a study, and they gave it to two sets of uh, individuals. They were all lawyers in different firms. It was, a, it was supposed to be a blind study. But they told them that the applicant on the left was a white guy, and the applicant on the right was a black guy. Right? But they both took the bar. So you're thinking, they're lawyers like anybody can be a lawyer you know if you put in enough work and do what you need to do or whatever so we should be beyond that well um the african-americans essay which mind you was identical to the other essay received uh less scores received more criticism received more critiques he was told he should go back to legal research and writing which is a first year class in law school out of three years. All these things. The white guy, they were like, you know, he has some, some things he can work on, but we think that that's not going to stop him from being an amazing lawyer. We love his analysis. And that was done, I think it was like 2016. Yeah. Like, that's a blind study. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like, there is positions of power that along with pigment of the situation. Have y'all seen the movie Get Out? Yes. One of my favorite movies, she'll tell you. I want I, I watch, went, I I watch went to the time. theater six times. <laughs> oh, seven. I'm sorry. Seven. I can do get out. I'm not I'm not rich like that. I went on five dollar Tuesdays and Thursdays. Don't like that. <laughs> so like if you notice when they had the scene where they were having the party in the back, and the only Asian character at that party 
asked dude, he said, do you find being an African-American male here as an advantage or disadvantage? That question shocked me when I first heard I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, that doesn't make sense. But then when you look to the history in this country of how um, our Asian-American brothers and sisters have been treated, put into internment camps, um, you'll also hear from some within the progressive movement that say that there is this likeness to whiteness that they try to reach because they have this perpetual vision from the majority that they're not American. So they try to do everything they possibly can to show you that, yes, I am. I got money. I got houses. I got cars. You know, I'll even down the black man with you just to show you how down I am. That's real. That's that's an St. Paul thing. Huge in St. Paul. Yeah. And so it's interesting that he asked that question because he was literally asking, do you find it more of a beneficial to be looked at as if you as if you are American or to think that you are un-American? That's a reality. That's 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 a real thing. So it's just yeah, man, it's just it's just a lot that that's coming out of out of all of this because this these are things that you have to think about on a daily basis. And right? things that we discuss not in front of you guys ever. You'll yes. see you I mean, I could go to school with you guys, live in the same dorm as you, be with you nine, twelve hours a day, be on the football field locker room, lunch room, and I'll still never talk to you about this. But this is something I'm either thinking or going back to my home base. And I call my home base my group of brothers, right? Mm-hmm. My my people. And we talk about this all the time, discuss yeah. it all the time. So, yeah, I think that's the other thing, too, is just, like, I want to make sure that you're, like, is there a way that we can, you know, come, way, back, to come back to it and, like, you do feel comfortable talking uh-huh. to us about this stuff. I mean, you are right now, but, like, there there need to be more guys like us who are just like, yeah, come on, it's so, like, and, and actually have the conversation. So we kind of discussed this. The minute it happened, I um, I was done. I was completely done with it because usually we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. What I did is I, um, I basically called. My people, my rights, pastors, brothers, people grew up with, people in the church, cousins, family members. I said, it's COVID right now. We can't really be out the house, but we need to be with each other. Because this is affecting y'all the same way it's affecting me. Like, we can't just internalize this and go back to work on Tuesday. It's yeah, just not right, going right, to right. Let's hop on Zoom and let's talk this through. So we, we had about 10 of us on Zoom the other day. I've had a few Zoom calls throughout the week, but this was the first one. And we started talking about what we were, how we're going to move forward. We're pissed off and... At first, we were just letting the air out, right? Just, bam, bam, man, fuck. Like, I'm telling you, day one, I was on some fuck white shit. Like, straight up, don't talk to me. I want to see you. We might have some altercations. But then when we started talking about moving forward, it was like, okay. First and foremost, you talked about um, lack there of, of knowledge or ignorance, which partially for somebody who I'm guessing I'm one of a few black people that, and I'm not saying me personally, but. When you guys hang out in rooms of 20, there's probably one, maybe two black people in there. And if you see they're flying, you don't think there's an issue. That's partially our fault, too. Right? Because of the way we were raised and not really bring that up, right? Uh, Sino, I'm sorry, I keep doing this. You guys watch the Boondocks? I never did, no. Okay, so the Boondocks, there was... <laughs> we got to put them on. There's a, there's a scene where Riley, he wakes up from a dream. He was scared as she wakes up from a dream. And his uh, grandma's like, hmm, you had that dream where you're telling white people truth again, huh? <laughs> And he goes, oh, what are you talking about? And then flashback to the dream. He's like, excuse me. He's at a dinner party, right? Because white people have dinner parties in their backyard. <laughs> He's at a dinner party. Excuse me. Hi, my name is Riley Freely. I like to say a few things. Jesus was black. Ronald Reagan is the devil. And 9-11 was a conspiracy from the government. Thank you. And white people go, it's like, what? No. They just start like, <laughs> doing something and just going nuts. 
And then he wakes him up. He's like, hmm, he was having that dream where he woke up the white people. He, he, he's told the truth to white people. What I tell you about that? You can't tell the white people the truth. They can't handle the truth. Man, shit, I'm about to go find me a white person right now and go lie to him, right? So again, my point in saying that is going back is like, we need to start being truthful with white folks because we are your, all you guys have is CNN, BET, whatever. We are your actual interaction. We just yeah. start telling you how we're feeling. That's something mm-hmm. I'm going to start doing better at. Mm-hmm. Not worrying about as much as how I'm coming off or making people uncomfortable or um, letting a few jokes slide that shouldn't slide. Um, letting mm-hmm. people talk about politics. Letting people talk about the president that they voted for. Mm-hmm. Let them know how that makes me feel. Because maybe that, hopefully, maybe that would have changed the way you voted. Hopefully. If you know how I truly feel about that. Mm-hmm. But if it was just another president team, Maybe you voted and maybe you didn't think it was serious. Mm-hmm. So that's one way I'm going to move forward is speaking. Now, I hope you guys would react and stop the gaslighting. Not you guys in particular, but just in general. Listen, stop gaslighting. Stop thinking things are unbelievable because you've never heard them before. I guarantee you, even though you spend 16 hours with me a day, there's still a part of me you would never know. I've lived with someone for four years who was white, and he's still like, we were talking about this the other night. He didn't know. I just let it out to him. He's seen my tweets and like, Damn, I owe that you? I'm like, yep. I write tweets and delete them all the time because I'm just like, no, they're not ready to hear this. They're not ready mm-hmm. to hear this. They're not ready to hear this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one too. You yeah, got something? I mean, I, I would say that the first thing is to, I'm big on self-awareness because my thing is, unless you know where your place is, where you feel that you fit somewhere, you can't truly exercise in that space authentically. Um, so I would say like first and foremost, like learn how to be uncomfortable. Um, make make being uncomfortable a comfortable situation for you. Amen. Um, because it's it's being uncomfortable that are leading to certain things like the woman in the dog park who made sure that she told the police when she called them absolutely on reason because it was actually her fault because she was supposed to have her dog on leash. This African American man is following me. You could have just been like, "Hey, there's this dude in this park that's that won't get off me." Mm-hmm. They brought that up for a reason. She weaponized mm. her environment because she was uncomfortable. Like, mm. how uncomfortable do you have to be to call the police on a child selling water because they don't have a permit? Like, how uncomfortable do you have to be to call the police on an African-American student that's sleeping in a Yale lounge that was taking a break from work? Mm. Like, how uncomfortable do you have to be to call the police on a police officer, or I'm sorry, you called the police on somebody that looked suspicious who had a flashlight and was wearing a police uniform who was black. Right. You really just call the police on the police because you are suspicious whether he's really police? Right. Learn to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations because that's when you learn because I can tell you right now, I'm uncomfortable most of the time. Eighty nine percent. I have to, and and that uncomfortableness. And I'm, sleep, and I'm about, sleep nine percent of the time. So. <laughs> like that uncomfortableness comes from, um, you know, being in spaces where um, we're putting on show, we're turning into character. When I wake up and put that mm-hmm. suit on and walk into the office where it's Greg, Ralph, and and and, and, and Linda, yeah. I'm like, and scene, let's go action right yeah that's not real me love to walk to the office just like mm-hmm. i see aaron aaron's good brother how you doing man? Good to see you. Know we can't is. we can't do that i can't do that hey, hey. how you doing? Good, good to see you how are you kids right oh no right. <laughs> yeah. 
You already know what it <laughs> yeah, is. Tell the wife I said, hey, and, uh, you know, drop off a casserole next week, all right? Gotcha. I, 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 that's not me. It's not me, but it's me all the time. It's insane, right? Yeah, and, and I have to, um, I'm just a natural actor. It's like, it's my mom's fault. I've been, I've been in this for a long time. Like, don't right is right and wrong is wrong. And, like, that's just how I am. And, and going into these spaces and having to make other people comfortable. Mm-hmm. Is where I'm uncomfortable because I can't say certain things. Like I got mad one day at the office, and I'm like, "This judge, this person pissed me off," and, and they were like, "Who?" And I was like, "Oh boy, and oh girl." <laughs> like, and and because in my mind, like I don't give you a name when I'm really mad at you. I'm like, "Oh boy, man, buddy ass, you know I mean? <laughs> but, buddy with the hair, right? Yeah. Some shit like that." Like, and I was called out by saying, "Did you just?" And I was like, what? I'm a hood? With this whole award sitting in my office, it's like, Aaron, you center women's issues with the trainings and things that you do? Because I said, oh, girl, because you didn't understand cultural context and cultural euphemisms, it automatically became my fault. Not because I was uncomfortable, but because that person became uncomfortable. When you say no, you have to be careful how you say no. No, nah, I'm good. Whoa, that's quite an attitude you have to hear, sir. You all right? You need, you need to go home for a little bit, you know, come back. No, I was telling you, I'm good. That was all you. You got it. I mean, of course I have it, but, you know, <laughs> what are you referring to? So, I think that even exchange would help a lot to have an authentic exchange. Mm-hmm. Because there are people that I can't talk to. There's judges that I know of. We can sit in office. And once that door shuts, like a rap. we have rap. real rap. You know what I mean? Aaron, you can't say these, this, this, and this. Why? We can't do it. This is where we're at right now in the world. Mm-hmm. So I can't do those things. And so um, just being open to understanding like what's really going on. Like People think that privilege is like some discount card that you get and you can take it to Walmart and get 50% off. Life is easier for me. Swipe. Like that's not what it is. What it literally means is that yes, you have issues in your life, but race and the and structural racism has never been a part of it. That's all it means. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are. Yes, I understand that you lost your job because of COVID-19, brother. I, I, I feel for you. I understand that you can't pay your bills right now. I feel for you. And guess what? Also, when it's time to rehire, you're going to be the first on the line and I'm going to be last. But our credentials are the same. Why is that? You know, like, so it's not as if it's like, oh, your life is just so easy and you've had everything in the world handed to you. There are a lot of people, a lot of Americans that have not had the plush lifestyle that we want to be. And that's why we put it on MTV. That's why we put it on BED. That's why we put it on ABC. That's why we have award shows. Right. Because we, we want that posh life. But a majority of people don't live that way. And so because I understand that they don't live that way, you have to also see that the oppression Olympics ain't going to work here. Because the first thing I hear is, well, you know they shoot more white people than black people last year, right? And I was like, yes, you're right. I said it's also due to this little thing called proximity. You also have a larger number of individuals in the country. So the chances of you 
interacting with a police officer, period, is so much higher. But I'm looking at it as proportionality. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that if we both have 10 people, but you have 30 million people and I have 15 million people, the death of my 10 people is going to be a higher proportion. Mm-hmm. If we kept at that rate, my people would die out before the other group. That's mm-hmm. all we're saying. Yeah, We're not saying that Caucasian folks are not shot. There was a brother. I shared it to my own uh, Facebook. I talked to other people about it. I, th- I believe the brother was in uh, California. It was a white guy, actually. Uh, and he was literally having a, a mental health like, breakdown. And the police officer killed that man because he had a knife. And I was like, yo, this is wrong. This is wrong. And to be honest with you, what was funny about the situation is that when this young when this young guy died, it was not all lives matter that showed up on his behalf. Mm, where are they? It was Black Lives Matter that showed up on this on this white man's behalf. Mm-hmm. This brother who was unjustly murdered at the hands of police, who was having an obvious mis- and he called the police. That was the thing. So that it's not like you were surprised with the situation. You knew what you were walking into. And that's how you decided to to go about it. Yeah. Another guy, reporter guy, um, walking down the hallway. He was another. He was also white. Going down the hallway, they allegedly said that they heard that there was some type of drugs or something like that in the room, and it was him and like some. I believe it was like two other women in the room. And this man comes out and he has his hands on his head. He's crying, bro. Like. I'm talking about like the nasty cry, the ugly, like, ugly, yeah. ugly cry. I'm talking about like <laughs> yeah. the, I know when I get to the house, I'm about to get a beating cry. Yeah, she like, oh up. my god, so oh my god, he lays on the ground, bro, hands like this. They killed that man. It was not all lives matter that was marching for this man. It was Black Lives Matter that was marching for him. Mm. So, what truly does all lives matter even mean? Because whenever we want you to show up you do not but whenever you hear one person scream black lives matter which side note by the way the screaming of for those who don't know the screaming of black lives matter does not mean that anybody else's life matters less it means that the important times such as police citizen interactions and other interactions with other uh citizens where they normally would be treated in a respectful manner all of a sudden we end up dead now when it's black lives matter that are the ones that are showing up Why not only show up to combat that? Like, there was literally a whole march, a whole All Lives Matter march that was done just to be in opposition to people screaming Black Lives Matter. So, okay, you said there's more white people shot in America than, than black folks, usually by police officers, would I completely believe in the stats? State that. They clearly show that. Right. So where y'all at then? Not y'all, but like all people screaming All Lives Matter every time I, I say Black Lives Matter. Where were you? Yeah. How was it that you only cared when I say something about this individual? And then all of a sudden to justify why you weren't there. And it's another thing. I hate people that equate everything. Like I, I hate this. Like I lost my job. Everybody loses their job. I, some woman tried to equate discrimination of minorities with her having to wear a mask in Menards, fam. <laughs> Literally. You can look this up. You can't make this shit up. She literally said that today's the first day I've ever been discriminated against in my life. No, it wasn't her. It's because it was her kid. The um, uh, the government has said 
who are the most people susceptible, susceptible right now to coronavirus? Elderly people, people with immunodeficiency, uh, deficiency uh, issues, and then children. So they're like, yo, you have kids under the age of three. We need you to put a mask on. I'm not putting a mask on my children. This is discrimination. I don't like this. That's not discrimination. That's not how discrimination works. <laughs> like, that's not how this whole thing works. You can't just get rid of discrimination. Like, yeah. you put the mask on, they're not going to touch so, you. I can't, <laughs> I, can't take, I can't take my skin off. Yeah, you know so, I mean? so I appreciate people trying to kill me with this all lives matter. They equate everything. There's racism here. There's racism everywhere. Okay, that's cool that there's racism everywhere, but let's talk about this in terms of car accidents, right? So there's car accidents everywhere. But if I have a highway that's right next to my house that tends to have a higher proportion of car accidents than everywhere else in the country, maybe it's time for us to handle the car accidents in my county. Mm-hmm. Or or just let's let's get rid of drunk drivers. Oh, but everybody's driving crazy. No, but we're just talking about these people that are drinking and killing people because it's at a different rate. Like nobody's doing that. Mm-hmm. My house is on fire and all of a sudden like save my house. Like, no, let's save all houses. Bitch, what? My house is on fire. Are you serious? We're not talking about all houses. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm just like. That, that's how ridiculous it sounds to us. Yeah. You know? No, I and I understand that too. Like, it, it, it's interesting because it's so people want to combat. Like, it's so combative because it's identifying that Black Lives Matter. But it's an awareness campaign to understand the history behind why Black Lives do matter. <laughs> we're, just, and, we're just trying to be in line with you guys. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then another thing we're talking about, because you asked question basically what can you another thing I'm thinking of is no matter how many white people I'm around, I will never be in a room where there's hundred percent white people. Because I'll always be in the room. Mm-hmm. So I can only say so many things. I can only be there so much. Now that you've let me speak, now that I'm finally doing my part to seek more, now that you are not gaslighting me, you are listening, now that you are truth understanding what we're trying, you know, picking up what we're laying down. Now I feel like it is white America's turn to speak, especially when we're not in the room. Right. Because I'm not going to see y'all true authentic selves, whether you're racist or not. You can be great right now. It's for TV, it's for ratings, whatever you call it. But you could call me a nigga when I leave. And I would never know. I would never know. (laughs) But the thing is, somebody in here has to hold everybody accountable. And then on top of that, you guys need to speak out and talk to your lawmakers, your people voting. Because you know, taxes and school referendums are obviously up here for you, but racism is down here. My point is to make it up here so you're making decisions based off race, racism, mm-hmm. racial injustice, right. uh, sec- uh, sexism, um, uh, 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 economic, uh, economic uh, uh, discrimination, discrimination a- anything like that. Yeah. We need to let you know that's important so you mm-hmm. can feel that too. Yeah. And then on top of that, and, and then on top of that, um, well, not even on top of that, the thing is like us burning down Target is just as effective as you guys just speaking out. They're not going to listen to us. They're going to react to us. They'll listen to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're ambassadors. Essentially. This, this yeah. country, this country. All right. Can I say it? Yeah. Can I say it? Okay. This country was built for y'all. It was built for y'all. They're not going to listen to us because we are second class citizens. Fuck with the constitution saying the pursuit of happiness. Um, every man's born. No, we're not. We're not. We're not equal. We're not. That's just what it is. We know it. We're, that's why we're fighting for it. But until you guys can change that or until you guys can speak and help us get our message across, it's, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, like you said, it's really about uh, accountability at the end of the day. It's about um, being able to um, 
have those conversations when somebody's not in the room. I can be in a room of all men, and when somebody says, I understand why these women are always blah, 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 blah. We can have a discussion. Because more than likely, it's a conversation I've had with my girlfriend already, my mom, other people. And if I just feel you're vehemently wrong, I'm going to let you know. Holding, like, holding them accountable in a yeah, room full of men. In a room full of men. Like, mm -hmm. I don't believe in abortion. Well, bro, here's my feeling. It's like, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, you aren't the person that has to live with it every day. You aren't the person that's actually impacted by it. It's not your right that's being taken away. So who are you to say that you are right about a body that is not yours? Mm -hmm. I'll do that outside the presence of women. I don't need a woman to be in there to be like, yo, what are you talking about? Facts. And and I think we have to get back to a place where we can have conversations with, with folks of same, similar, and different um, background and have authentic and real conversations. Like, one of the greatest things that I ever saw is, uh, it was during it was when there was a thousand jillion candidates for the Democratic nomination, right? Last week. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a bajillion people, right? And what's interesting is one of the candidates, maybe it was like Beto or somebody like that, um, they came and they went to the church and they were, it was Beto. That's when he was talking about the Freedom Riders and, and all that information about Black Lives Matter and everything. And somebody said something that stuck with me. They said, it's not enough for me for you to come to a church full of black people and tell us that you don't like racism and that you're going to do something about racism. It will be more impactful if you went to a church full of white people and you gave them that message. Mm -hmm. right? Because, and that's true because you're, you're going here and you're going to say, oh yeah, I like racism. Hey, that's fun, man. I don't like it either. Like, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be anybody in that, in that black Southern Baptist church who's going to be like, Hold on. That, that, that guy's on to something. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So it's like, yes, you need to be having those conversations because it just sounds better. I mean, also, that's why, um, that's why, that's why, that's why I'm glad we're finally after he's on Charlemagne's show. We're trying to hold Joe Biden accountable. You ain't just going to get these votes. You're going to prove to us why you deserve these votes. Because yeah. call a spade a spade. The Democratic Party has been, has been using abusing us for many years. Yeah, they just not yeah, getting us the votes. We're not giving votes anymore just because you are better of the worst. You will earn this. I have an agenda. If you want this, boom, I'm going to stick it on the wall. That's exactly what you got to do to get these votes. Just like the Teamsters do. Just like every union does. Just like businesses do. You know what I mean? So, But we're the only ones that are being called at this time racist for, for wanting that. Right. Like, you use the term black agenda and like, it's an everybody agenda. And I'm like, okay, I get that, bro. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, However, you kind of roll your eyes at that like response, honestly. I can see why. And it happened so much, dude. Yeah. And that's why we don't even talk about it no more. I'm like, man, let me just let you be about your business. Because here's the thing. I can really put you some knowledge. Too much energy. A, I don't got the energy. B, you probably ain't going to listen. And C, I might end up stealing off you. So, not going to do that. <laughs> it's just a constant battle, man. It's, yeah. a, it's a constant thing yeah. that you hear is because nobody wants to be called a racist. Like Nobody wants to believe that they are part of any type of problem that they deem to be outside of their control. Mm -hmm. Like one thing that pisses me personally off is when people try to call me a misogynist. Misogynist. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? That means you're a great. That means you're a great masseuse, by the way. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But uh, it's like 
when somebody tells me that, I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, I'm out here fighting for women's rights. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here standing up. I'm, I'm doing, you know, everything that I can. But um, I also have to recognize how me being a man has certain privileges that I've never encountered before. Yeah, you know, I could walk down the street and get robbed, but I, but believe me, I don't know. I don't know too many uh, rapists out here trying to get, get jiggy with a 6'3", 265-pound black man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to fight you. You feel know I me? Mean? Like, I don't have to worry about those things. I don't have to worry about um you know going over to somebody's house and the door locking. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't have to worry about going to the know, club and getting grabbed all yeah. sorts of way or being in a situation where it's just two people in the room and like, let me just do what the dude says so he doesn't kill me or rape me. Yeah. yeah. Rather than just like, say no, I don't want to and leave. Yeah. Exactly. Like I don't I don't have those type of concerns. I don't have the type of concerns of, okay, well I just got this new position but now I'm pretty. Mm-hmm. So and the employers look at you. And yeah, and the employers looking at you differently. Like I don't, I don't have to deal with those things. So, um, yes, I became part of that problem. In my opinion, the moment she lost her job because she got pregnant and gave it to me. Mm-hmm. Whether you know what it is. So, so what I can do is now that I know this is an issue, as an ally, I can go ahead and say that they, they right. Because right. it holds more weight coming from us. Because at, at that point, yeah. that's the interesting part. Being black, being a black male, we're the minority in that situation. We're the majority, or not majority, but we are the, the the place of power when it comes to sexism. Which is, I think, sexism, minority diversity, and and sexism, and and um, you know, accepting the LGBT community. I've really understood somewhat, finally, what's going through your head sometimes. Because there's so many things when it comes to women. I got some real strong black friends that speak up and let me know when I'm tripping or when things are going on. And I thank them because I would have never known. Because for years, they, just like us, are not saying things because they don't think we want to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And if we do, we're not going to listen. And then on top of that, it's exhausting for them because they always talk about it. Right. It's just a, it's a constant repetitive cycle. Right. right. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to break. We're yeah. trying to break the... Mm-hmm fact that you have to get exhausted explaining it to them the fact that they aren't willing to listen and the fact that they probably just don't want to be uncomfortable and i think it starts with that to be honest with you. actual factuals there it is so that's just you know the main things that um we can think of off top. That, that off the top i could think about beyond that man it's really about structural change man like mm-hmm. strategizing organizing planning and, and i don't think that is um just a thing that white allies can do I believe that it is something that we can do collectively, but the issue that comes up in a lot of rooms is that there's this this concept that um, because I'm the door, I'm the boss, right? Because I have the power <laughs> to invite you into this situation. Mm-hmm. I run this shit, right? Mm-hmm. But if the purpose of you bringing me in was to change the very, like structurally, the very power that you have why would I let you lead it because the only person in your mind that's not going to benefit from it is you because mm-hmm. yeah. you're changing structurally how people are getting power and exerting that power yeah. so you know and, and, and this happens in progressive circles I used to be heavy in the progressive movement I loved everything we're talking about and then I started seeing some of the same um Qualities or movements. Yeah, same things that I was seeing in some of the more conservative groups that I had issue with or whatever. It had to be uh, okay. 
well, let's do something about structural change. So then you would start to do something about structural change. And then guess what? Somebody's uncomfortable because now you're saying, hold on. There was at one time, $500,000 in this, uh, in this uh, account for small businesses. What do you mean that you're giving 250,000 of that to, to minority owned businesses only? Mm. What do you mean? So why would you have that person over the whole thing? Cause they're like, all right, well you can get him like a hundred, you know what I'm saying? Cool. Like, cool. Fit piece. Yeah. Just need a fit piece. Let me keep this over here. But it's really about, if we really about it, creating a structural change, seeing what it looks like for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? How, how that works. Like, yes, I don't think that it's good for anybody to lose a job. I get that. Um, I also understand that, you know, if, if some, Folks that I know lose their jobs. They have uh, parents. They have savings. They have um, a lot of backing from their parents being smart a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, and they put them trust accounts aside. They did all of those things. So if you lose your job and I lose my job and I have none of that, and on top of that. I'm supporting folks. <laughs> yeah, and on top of that, it's like, you not only are going through the mill, but then you got to go through the mill and then you have to be exemplary. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wants the black guy until he gets too black. Mm. And, then, and then all of a sudden, I became the very enemy that you were concerned. Man. Remember that confirmation thing I was telling you about earlier? Yeah. That's something that you had to believe in the first place for it to be an aha moment now. So once I became too black and it, I had somebody literally say that, oh, you were an organizer. Well, you do understand if you come here, you ain't going to be doing none of this protest shit. I was told, and I told them why it was. Now, I guarantee you if I would have told them that I was marching for breast cancer awareness, they wouldn't have said that. A whole different story. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't have said that if I was telling them that I was marching for AIDS. They, I, they, they wouldn't have had an issue if I told them that I was, you know, marching for Roe v. Wade for women's rights. So why is it a problem now? You know what I'm saying? Especially yeah. the situation that he that buddy was talking about is the only situation where there was zero property destruction. So what are you what are you really mad at and what are you really trying to uncomfortable silence? with? Yeah. What are you really uncomfortable with? Yeah. And how do you how do you deal with that uncomfortable, yeah. you know, nature of looking at a world that has to give up some type of power that has to reorder how we operate with each other, mm-hmm. what we do. The one thing COVID-19 did that was that, that is going to change the game is, in my opinion, working from home. Yeah. Working from home. People will be able to save so much more money working from home. You know, so you still, in 2020, have a significant number of underprivileged homes that don't even have internet access. And you know why they don't have internet access? Because they're spending that money to go downtown to get a job or have a car to pay the insurance, do all this other stuff all these extra ideas and things. And the last thing thinking about is getting internet. I mean, cable, you know what I'm saying? But not even, maybe, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, but it's just, it's just something that we have to understand that, that it's going to change the game. You know, it's going to change the game for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. So how can we structurally make that happen? Make it equitable, um, not just equal, equitable. There's a difference. You know what I'm saying? Equality means that everybody gets a piece of paper and pencil for the test. Equity means that everybody was prepared to take the test. Mm. So how are we making this equitable? How, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and we have to make sure that we are doing it collectively. 
Because, yeah, nobody should be left out. Yeah. I'm not saying anybody should be left out. I'm also saying, like, let's right some of these wrongs. Yeah. Let's see what's going on. Dude, well you said. Know? So That rocks. Well, now y'all know why I bought my big bro here, right? I know yeah. exactly why you bought him. <laughs> For yeah, sure, dude. My big bro. And I'm telling you, it's about, it's about 200 of us, too. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. amazing. Yeah. And I, I really do, out of the many things you said today, one of the one of them being these are thoughts that you're having all the time. If you think if you think I'm ramp you said if you think I'm rambling, these are thoughts that I'm having yeah. all the time. And that's why it, it it's it comes at it from all these angles in all of these different situations. So I just thank you for sharing you. Thank you for sharing what's inside your head. I appreciate y'all giving me the opportunity, man. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No, I I think it's I'm now realizing, you know, yeah, it's a podcast. Yeah, we talk about BS all the time, but like I didn't realize until literally this week that we had a voice and that peop- we, because we are the ordinary average podcast, that's also our opportunity to get on anybody and everybody. And we're getting on the most important people right now. It's a way to bring up the true story, man. Like one of the things that I found most powerful is that I followed from Eau Claire majority of what happened in the last four days on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I didn't follow CNN. I didn't follow Fox. Mm-hmm. I didn't follow CNBC. I didn't follow any of these major um, news uh, um, anchors. Why? Because I was getting the real story. I was getting the raw story. I, I was getting the actual story. It's the first time in a long time we've actually been able to control the narrative of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, when, only when you're only watching these major networks who need attention, right? They're still trying to beat out everybody else, so they got to be provocative. So yeah. they have to say things that aren't necessarily true. Yeah. Or like uh, what was it WCCO that gets on my nerves all the time because they always like to put the opposing thing on there. Like when Jamar Clark was going down, you know, they were the first ones to put his sister on there, saying things like, "What the hell y'all doing? Y'all over here burning all this stuff?" That just going off talking about how she didn't agree with the fact that people protesting for her own brother. Why are you putting that out there? Like what 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 purpose did that serve? If if the purpose of you coming into the community is to understand what happened, why it happened, and why people are responding in this way. What does that have to do with making his sister the centerpiece of dissent mm-hmm. in order to strengthen the divide of people mm-hmm. who yeah. already thought that we were overreacting? Which for a second, we were unified. Literally, like right before the protest and the deaths. I think for the first, not the first time ever, but like when we talk about COVID, we talk about 9-11, that was one of the times for like seven hours. Like we was all together. Like I'm like, damn, finally, like finally you see, like I'm here. Like the middle child that finally gets attention, like, yes, it's me. And all of a sudden, boom, the attention gone because they divided it, created a new narrative. And I was like, why are they writing? Like, yeah. well, sure, why are you killing? And now we are each other's necks all day. But I think with your point on Facebook and the idea that now we have something like a podcast where it's three hours of you get to listen and tell the story and and any time where you have to are are too exhausted to explain them all you gotta say is hey go click on this listen to that take was that a plug was that a no no but i i I just like to try to get followers Go ahead. So if that was a plug, we're going to plug this. This this is a special episode. Remember like the Christmas episode of sitcoms growing up? This is a special episode. You know, it's it's usually the back pocket. This is 
a black pocket. <laughs> and, that was, and that was completely a joke. Don't do that because you guys will get attacked. Like, right. Yeah. We will get, we will get, uh, I can say that. Y'all can. Y'all can. No, but I, I do, I just think it's such a better way to communicate feelings, emotions, rights, wrongs, history, context. Like it takes far more than the time we've spent to really, really understand it, right? It takes it takes years for these experiences and these things to actually internalize. But I don't think the idea of putting a headline out and dividing someone based off of six words or an article or a or a tweet or something is is the way that we need to communicate. Absolutely, we have to we have to get back to news where individuals gave the fact that you come up with your own opinion. Yeah, um, we've now come to a place where. Where no matter what you're watching, somebody has an agenda um, because they have money on and, the line, like and ratings too. Yeah, ratings. ratings. You know what I'm saying? Commercials. You know what I'm all saying? Of, all types of stuff. So I see it all the time, man. And, and mm-hmm. we got to realize like this is stuff like this is 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 generations in in the making. You know what I'm saying? Like the helplessness and hopelessness that some people feel is because they understand history. You know what I'm saying? We understand that um, what Black Wall Street was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Well, we had all of our own. We 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 was up, like, I'm talking about everything: our own banks, our own schools, our own uh, uh, taxi driver companies, laundromats. Don't know about Tulsa, Oklahoma. Man, man, all of that. Why wasn't that? Why wasn't that, why wasn't that in my history book, man? Exactly. It, and it was 100% black people. You know what I'm saying? And it wow. was taken down. And it rivaled New York because City. of yeah, vibrant, because of riots. Really? It was wow. race riots. Literally, people. On the other side, we're like, I can't have them be more successful than we are. And it was taken down. Not only was this place taken down in race riots, but it's the only recorded time in American history that a town had bombs dropped on it by the United States government. You can't find, other than push, you can't find any other time that America has dropped bombs on its own people. Yeah. For yeah. reasons. Like, and, and of course it started out because there's this nice little lie that people like to tell. Um, once again, it's very race-oriented about black men and white women, right? We're always these savages raping some white woman back in history. Like, every, almost every single time. That's how it was started in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Allegedly, they tried to make up a story that said some guys raped a white woman. They couldn't even figure out who it was. So they was like, fuck this, we're already over here. Let's just do what we need to do. Um, also, let's talk about the town of Roseville. You know what I'm saying? Where once again, the term uh, "don't get caught across the tracks" became real. There's literally a picture before and after of the black side of town, the train tracks, white side of town. The end is the entire black side burned down. The same train tracks, and the white side is still up. And that once again started because this woman got caught. She said she was raped by a black man. Um, they went through that town. They killed people. So there's a whole movie about this with uh, Ben Rains. Feel free to, to to check that out. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, they killed those people. It, it just seems like every single time African Americans have have successfully come together and said, "I'm gonna make my own. I'm not just going to be. Um, I'm not just gonna be in a community that that you put me in because you get money every step of the way. You get my rent. I don't own. You know what I'm saying? I spend my money at your grocery stores. I I, I store my money inside of your banks. Mm-hmm. I go to the schools that you dictate the curriculum in." So that I can't even, yeah, that I can't even tell you um, what to teach my children. Get arrested by your police officers. Yeah, be on. I'm arrested by police officers that paid for 
because you know police officers aren't really meant to protect people um they're meant to protect property so that's why you get put into this, this small space that's where broken window policy comes from why is it called broken window it's called broken window policies because it's meant to um basically a crime-ridden area mm -hmm. it's about property and so if you stay on this type of property you must be this type of person so you have all of these instances you know what i'm saying some people don't know about seneca village are you aware of what seneca village is I'm not. I've now, heard it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So Seneca Village. So you now know it right now is Central Park. Mm -hmm. um, Seneca Village was a group of individuals that came up from the south into the north. You know what I'm saying? It was it was uh, uh, black folks, um, our, our gypsy brothers and sisters, as you know, I'm saying, I don't know what the official term is. Um, they came up there as well. Um, they were making money. They were they were doing their thing. They were creating for themselves. Um, and then the city of New York was like, yo, son, like, it's cool that y'all out here doing what you need to do, um, but I need you to move. And they're like, why? Why? That doesn't make sense. Why? There's no reason for us to move. They say, you know, basically, either you're going to move, we're going to make you move. Once again. Sounds real familiar. I think something like that may have happened here in the Twin Cities at one point. Yeah, it's called Rondo. Oh, Rondo, Northside. What, what, what was oh, the Northside. That was St. Paul. No, I'm saying Northside and Rondo. Yeah, there's 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 a fixture. Maybe you've heard of it. Highway 94 was not there always, right? Highway 94 went through the most vibrant black neighborhood, arguably in the Midwest. Vibrant black neighborhood, the yeah. Rondo neighborhood. Rondo, Rondo's And when we talk about Rondo, we're talking about what you guys know as McAllister, Groveland, and Frogtown. Those are all one place. That's where all the black doctors, lawyers, as far as the Great Migration from the South, came up. Chicago. Then went to Milwaukee, then went to Minneapolis, then went to Kansas City, Iowa, right? That was our hub before the north side became our hub. What it is like, we got to build this highway. Where are we going to build it? Let's build it this way. No, no, no. The Jewish people won't let us do it. Let's build it this way. Now the white folks won't let us do it. Let's build it this way. Well, the Middle East is whatever it was. Black people with no voice. They're not in City Hall. They have no legislation power, legislative power, and they're doing some good things there. Let's build this highway through there and tear apart the community. Like through the middle. Through the damn middle. Yeah, make yeah. people leave. Didn't I don't know if they paid for the homes, but basically, you had a neighbor that when he was he was gone. Yeah, you had stores they were gone, banks gone, Jeez. all of this just gone. That happened here in the Twin Cities. People don't know about that. When you learn about Minnesota history, you learn about the Beaver Pelps, Fort Snelling, uh, uh, Flower India War. You know what I mean? Pillsbury Company. Cool. Yeah. They don't talk about that. Yeah, you just crazy. have to be put into the mindset of what some people because I. Some people just have some simple solutions to the most complicated questions. Like, oh, well, why don't you just buy your house? <laughs> why don't you just open a, open your own store? Why don't you just get a job? Why, why don't, don't you go to college? Yeah, why don't, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you just, just, just. And, and we have to understand that the historical significance of, of why there's not more ownership. By 20, it's predicted by 2040, allegedly, that the... Um, that African Americans will have we at zero in terms of our economic ability. Really? Zero. That means we that means we'll own nothing. That means there's no more money in here. It's it's projected to be zero. I wonder why that is. I mean, part of it is just conglomerates. Yeah. And like you have all these people continuing to to their own five lots and then the next thing you know five lots over north burn down and the first thing they do is buy those other five lots 
Right. And they're not they have yes, the, exactly yeah. got the capital, okay. and they're not going to give it up to anybody. So <clears> and it's long term. To be. And you set it up long term. Exactly. You're the landlord. And white people may live there, but now we're going to rent it to them, and you will pay our mortgages. You will pay our loans, right? right. Exactly. Which is why, which is why the whole University Avenue thing is very near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like what it was, and on top of that, the inhabitants will never look like what it was. Right when I knew there was been that stadium there, I'm like, it's a wrap. It's like over. the light rail was one thing, but like once they stay, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's over. It's, it's over. a countdown. Mm-hmm. It's over. That's crazy. So yeah, that's man, crazy. That's, just, that's a little something. We, we could go. We could go for hours, my yeah. guy. Oh, I know. We could go for hours. I know. Because I'm one of those people. Like one thing that burns my my soul. I hate when somebody tells me that I'm just complaining. Like, I hate when they say you're just trying to use the right card. I hate when they say, yes, oh, well, you, um, you're just being a victim. Like, no, I understand history. But understand that, that, number one, the reason why violence is a last resort for a lot of African-American communities, in my opinion, is because we have learned that those who we consider to be the opposition, violence has always been their first reaction. Mm. It's always been first. Like, everything that I mean, uh, Malcolm X said it best. He was like, "You're talking to me about violence. You're saying that that we're that we're talking that we're speaking violence." He said everything I learned about violence I learned from George Washington. Mm-hmm. Everything I learned about violence, I learned from your Revolutionary War. And now you telling me because I want to use the same tactics to free my people that I'm violent. Right. That doesn't make sense. Every hero I've ever had has been assassinated. Period. Martin Luther King Jr. stood up too fast, assassinated. Malcolm X stood up too soon, assassinated. Huey P. in the middle of the night, gone. You know what I'm saying? Even the few, even the few presidents that were that that were even the few white presidents that were more progressively thinking. JFK, assassinated, bro. So, and then you have this thing called, uh, and this last thing I'm sorry, COINTELPRO. Are you familiar? Counterintelligence program. It was a program that was put into um, federal use to disrupt the Black Panthers, to disrupt the hippie movement. Um, it was really about terrorism, right? It was originally you put they, into play for terrorism, and then they used it yeah. for every other reason but terrorism. That's, the, that's the yeah. buzzword. So it yeah. was. It was originally it, it, they they classified them as terrorists, but they weren't. Like, yeah, they classified Martin Luther King Jr. as a terrorist. Understand that Martin Luther King Jr. died on the terrorist list. That's crazy. Like, think about that. So, um, what they do is they they intentionally put in misinformation and they do certain things like tactics such as getting people to enter into movements or to enter into marches, which we're saying we want to be peaceful, and then that person starts busting a little bit of shit up. That's a counterintelligence programming method. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. And so one of the things about COINTELPRO that you should know is that one of the rules is there can never be a rising of a black messiah. That's literally, you could, you look it up. There can be no messiah. There was one person that came close. His name was Fred Hampton out of Chicago. He was Black Panther. He was somebody that did something that they knew they had to kill him for. And that thing is he talked to people in Chicago and he said, listen, it's all these folks up here making all this money, man, that are not trying to move our communities forward. They're intentionally hindering our communities. They're keeping it 
so that we have to depend upon them when that doesn't make sense. He then went out into the farmland and basically said from the hoods to the woods, all of us are getting done in by this same group of people. What are we going to do about it? And they said, well, how about we get together? What that sounds like to me, that sounds like something a messiah would do. Mm-hmm. And once that was found out, this man was in, uh, he was in his apartment, right? He had like two, I believe it was like two other um, panthers in there. And his, um, his girlfriend, his wife, she was there too. She was pregnant. And allegedly the story is they told him to, to leave, like to get out, come out of the apartment. Um, but they were there for no reason. And allegedly he didn't come out. Or they try to say a shot rang out from the house. And keep in mind this man has his pregnant wife. They took a Tommy gun. And they just unloaded on this man's full house. Like directly. I'm talking about let every shell off. When they drug him out of the house. Like they, they, they drug him out down the steps. And put his body on the sidewalk. Didn't even cover it for hours. Because they wanted you to see what being a messiah would do. So I say every one of my heroes has been assassinated. Why would that make me want to rush to be the next one? That's crazy. Well said. That's... Uh, like a story, Fred Hampton, man. He's a, he's yeah. a good one. He's a real good one. He just they just made a bust of his head like a year or two ago. They put it in one of the parts of Chicago, man. Y'all should yeah. visit the site and look it up. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, you guys are incredible, both of you. <laughs> I appreciate y'all, man, for the opportunity to talk. No, I and again, we're thankful to have you guys here, man, because without you guys here, we have no idea what's like. We we don't have necessarily the context or the knowledge of wealth. But after this, like it's just amazing that we do now. And I'm so thankful for you guys coming on, talking about it, especially in these hard times, especially with everything going on already. Very amazing and super impressed that you guys, now knowing what's going through your head, like you guys are kick-ass, man. Nothing but extraordinary. And I'm just so impressed. And you've changed the course of my thought (laughs) for life. There's a point now where I had you guys on. and I'm just, thank you. Thank you. Thank you you guys rock. Last words. That's a wrap, baby. It's a wrap. All
she says, I'm gonna have to try and catch another.